The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 225 for Thursday, April 24th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. All right, so um, lots to discuss this week. First and foremost, big 225th episode of My Take Radio. Uh, Thank you to 7927, who told me that we're getting our audio squared away. So I'm happy about that. All right. So big 225, like I said, real happy about this milestone. Like I've said before, you know, every, every milestone and we get closer and closer to the big 250 and the big 300. And it just feels good to be, you know, doing the show every week. Everything's consistent. Our videos running on all cylinders. Everybody's loving what we're doing. So definitely happy about that. Uh, A couple of updates before we get into some of the stuff for this week. I'm definitely going to need Slick's help for the gaming tonight because we got a lot to discuss and I want to bring him in on a couple of things. Uh, first first and foremost, uh, MTR 5.0 is all, all cylinders are go for it to launch probably that first week in May. Uh, right now, our web developer is working on our test site and is getting it up and running. Really, really cool enhancements that you guys are going to be seeing. Uh, like I said, this new version of the site will come bundled with a forum. And given what's been happening with Facebook as of late and a lot of you guys um, expressing your displeasure with how Facebook is treating the show and everything with regards to everybody else's audio and everybody else's video and everything else, we're going to do our best to maybe start building that forum community as best as we can. Just because, like I said, the Facebook thing is huge. It's just made a, such a huge dent I know guys who used to engage with three, four thousand, five thousand fans, and now all of a sudden they're they're barely engaging with a hundred and fifty or two hundred fans. It's really, really disappointing. And you know, with that said, we're gonna try and start looking for other avenues to engage with you guys, try and do something a little bit more centered around the audience. I mean, Facebook is great, and again, thank you guys for sharing all our stuff. But it's making it's making such a such a big dent in terms of our audience reaching everything that we're going to try and start, you know, moving away into the forums, maybe a little bit more Google plus. We're definitely engaging more on Twitter. 
I know we, we, we get new followers every day and we're trying to engage with everybody, but that is where we're at with regards to MTR 5.0. We should, like I said, be ready for a soft test. Uh, first week of May, we're going to have some people testing, uh, myself, Slick, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I agree with what Brian is saying in the chat. Facebook keeps mucking with their newsfeed so you don't get the reach that you would like and for people to like or follow you. It is it is an, a huge uphill battle lately, and it's just it's just really disgusting, especially with the fact that people have grown their audiences so much and then you got to pay for for your updates to reach everybody. It's just it's just such horse shit, but Anyway, like I said, MTR 5.0, we're going to be soft testing next week, probably slick, and uh, some of the MTR staff are going to be testing it behind the scenes, and we'll be ready to launch hopefully that same week, if not the following week. I will keep you guys posted for that. Um, We got uh, Jay's going to be working, hopefully, with Valkyrie Pro Wrestling. It is an all-women's wrestling promotion that's going to start doing shows here in New York City. Uh, They'll be doing a show later on. I believe it's late May, early June. And we're working with them, and Jay's going to be covering that. Um, I will be at Consumer Electronics Week the the last week of June. Uh, so we'll be covering all the great gadgets and stuff that week, plus a ton of other stuff. We're going to try and, and get a couple of different things going on. But we are going to do a couple of giveaways this week. Um, I got a loot crate, which if you look, it's right behind me, uh, from Toy Fair. And I'm going to open that up, and I'm just going to give away some of the stuff that's in there. Uh, definitely, um, we're going to be working with, uh, loot crate in the near future, and hopefully we'll be able to get some giveaways with you guys. Uh, we're also going to be doing some stuff with Bello digital. Uh, they sent us some headphones that we're going to be reviewing. I'm going to be giving those away. And I got a ton of other stuff that's going to be cleared out of the MTR prize closet within the next couple of weeks, just trying to find contests and stuff to give things away fairly. And like I said, all the bullshit with Facebook is really making it hard to organize contests effectively. And with Twitter, it's just hard to really gauge who's really following you because people can follow you just to get in on the contest. And then before you know it, they're gone. So hopefully we'll be able to figure something out. Maybe we'll do something with um, Rafflecopter and we'll work on something from there. So I got two emails this week I wanted to share with you guys. The first email uh, was about what I talked about a couple of weeks back that we were contemplating doing what's called a Patreon. Uh, basically what a Patreon is, is to, uh, uh, a form of a, kind of a reward system. Let's say, let's say you guys want to support the show and people donate a dollar, a dollar for every episode or every week or whatever they want. There's different tiers. We give away different prizes and stuff and it allows the show to be monetized, but it allows people to support the show directly. I've been seeing a lot of people doing it. Our friends at VGN are doing it. Our colleagues at GFQ, Andrew and Paul Therott for what the tech are doing it. And a lot of people have been saying that we really should do it, especially with the amount of people that we engage and the amount of stuff that we cover. So uh, one of the guys emailed me about it. He said, hey, you know, I listen to VGN. I saw that those guys have been doing a Patreon and I've been supporting them. And I know you mentioned that you were going to do it. And I'd like to know when you're going to start because I'd like to support you guys as well. Uh, To answer that, we hopefully will, once I figure out what kind of rewards and stuff we're going to give away, I will jump into uh, what kind of a Patreon we're going to do. I'd like to say maybe we'll have something firm in June with regards to a Patreon. But until then, uh, right now, we're just, you know, we're going to keep doing it the way we're doing it. We stopped soliciting donations a long time ago if you guys have been listening to the show from the beginning. We used to have a PayPal button, but 
it just it just felt really weird. Um, you know, we'll see what the deal is, but more than likely we are looking for June as the start date for the Patreon. The other email was about where else they can listen to the show. Uh, one of the one of the emails I got was asking about how come the video versions of the show aren't released on iTunes. Well, to answer that, uh, the video versions of the show are usually nine gigs, and this is um, you know this is before I edit the stuff down. Thank you for the share, Brian. I'll check that out. Um, you know, it's one of those things where the way it works is. Usually we finish broadcasting, we get our video from our friends at GFQ, or I record the video, and these files are usually 8 or 9 gigs, and then after I edit and compress it down, maybe I'll get it down to 4 gigs. And the problem is that we have a very special agreement with Libsyn, and you know all our audio pretty much uses the majority of our bandwidth. So if we wanted to go into video, uh, it would be a little difficult to do, but... If you do want to get video of the show, as always, I remind people to visit our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash TV, and you'll be able to get the video episodes there. And as always, when we post episodes on the site, that includes audio and video as well. We're hopefully going to figure out a way to distribute video through iTunes, but it's something that um, we're going to be working. We're going to be working on in the near future once, you know, I got to sit down with with Andrew at GFQ and try and figure out a way to do that. But as always, you can watch the videos on our YouTube channel, um, on the, our page, of course, and reruns on GFQ, of course, gfqlive.tv. All right, so before we get into this week's MMA news, I did want to say that last week I talked about picking up an Xbox One, and I have made the jump to next gen, ladies and gents. Um, paid 449 got the system, Titanfall, and a couple of other things. A pretty, pretty solid deal, but you know what's funny? Like everything else, you buy something, and then a week or two later, a better deal comes out. A cra- There's a crazy deal I got to share with you guys that Best Buy is doing over the weekend, and, um, you know, it's funny because Slick is saying boo in the chat, and, you know, of course, he, he he's he's giving, he's he, he's being a rib about it, um, but here's the thing. The, the, the jump to PS3, and I was going to save it for the gaming segment, but I will share it because it's also going to be part of this week's monologue. Um, the jump to PS4, I should say, is something that I do want to do. It's it's part of the job. It's part of running the show. But like I said, no, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, no games are seriously jumping out at me to make me want to pick up a PS4 right this second. I'm, I'm looking, based on the release calendar, I'm seeing some stuff in June. I'm seeing some stuff in July that's definitely going to make me lean towards a PS4, but I did see some things on Xbox One that I wanted to play, so that kind of pushed me in that direction. Plus, like I said, 449 with Titanfall included was definitely a, um, you know, it's something that I that I wanted to uh, get my hands on and try out because I didn't want to pick it up on the 360 just because, you know, if I'm, if I'm making the jump to next gen, I might as well make the jump and play a game that I did want to play. So this leads me to uh, Xbox, you know, Microsoft and and Xbox Live's resolution team, which I definitely want to commend this week, and I'll tell you guys why. As you guys know, last week I told you about the random thing where my account went from gold to silver, and the and the emails back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and the end result was me, uh, my 
gold membership being canceled and then me rebuying a gold membership going forward. Now, the funny thing is, um, when I did that, everything was, was like I said, everything was fine. So I get an email from a guy and the name is Roderick. I, I'll give the guy a shout out. And he was like, Hey Rich, you know, we see you resolved your issue. Um, you know, I'm glad that you got it resolved. Uh, we're going to close your ticket. And I responded. I said, listen, you guys didn't really resolve shit. I ended up, I ended up going and buying a new membership myself. And that pretty much fixed everything, you know, not, not really thanks, but no thanks. You guys didn't really do anything. So, you know, he responded back and he was like, Hey, you know, we're sorry that there wasn't a, a resolution that we assisted you with, but what here, we're going to give you something for your trouble. So they ended up giving me a, um, 1500 Microsoft points, whatever that translates to cash. I know it, it, once I added it to my account, it turned to cash, but they gave me 1500 points for my trouble and a free month on top of my, my additional month that I got. So definitely I got to give a shout out to Xbox live customer support for, for stepping up. And not only that, but dealing with, with my belligerent ass. Cause I was, you know, I was belligerent about it in, especially with the later emails, because you got to remember I did the chat on the site. Then I did uh Xbox support on Twitter. Then I did a whole bunch of emails. Then I did just by the time I was done, it, it, Xbox didn't want to hear anything else from me. So one of the things that I had said was that I was frustrated that I couldn't get my account gold because I wanted to pick up an Xbox one. So, you know, um, thank you for that, Brian. Yeah. About, you know, a couple bucks. So definitely, you know, thanks. Thanks to those guys for, for hooking me up. You know, it was nice of them to do. They could, they didn't have to do shit. You know, we've talked about this before. Uh, the big companies could give a fuck less about what you do because they know that they're getting the, um, you know, they're getting the money from you. So definitely shout out to those guys. Uh, props to, to customer service rec, uh, customer service rep Roderick, who definitely stepped up and, you know, made, made my transaction with Xbox a little easier. And like I said, uh, the Xbox one so far has been running good minus an issue the first night where you have to download an initial update and the servers were down. But other than that, you know, definitely props to those guys for stepping up and doing a solid because, you know, it, it was definitely a cool thing that they did. Um, you know, Xbox one thus far has not been, you know, Andrew's telling me to bring the mic closer. Xbox one has not been as terrible as people think, you know, it's, it's crazy because it's easy to say, yo, the system's going to be shitty. Uh, the, the, I'll tell you what the initial setup was pretty cool. You know, a lot of the voice activated stuff I use. Uh, the only thing I didn't do was connect it to my cable box because I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet, but I did test out some live streaming, which worked very well. And I tested out a couple of other things and I'll tell you, man, for 449, it's 50 bucks more than the, than the PS4. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's not terrible. That's all. But we'll get into it a little bit more in the gaming segment. As for tonight's topics, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event. We're going to talk about the double standard that a lot of people have been talking about with Ronda Rousey and her commentary about Chris Cyborg. We're also going to uh, be getting into the week's gaming news. We got a lot of wrestling to talk about, including the rumors that a Hall of Famer will be returning to Monday Night Raw on Monday. Very interesting what I've been hearing, and hopefully it's true. I'd, I'd like to see this individual, considering it feels like it's been forever since I've seen him on live TV. Plus, of course, we're going to get into the entertainment news for this week. And um, I see that Jay Sandy's complaining about Ronda, but it's funny because 
Jay says Jay saying that and the news story. I want I want Jay's opinion on it because it kind of goes into wrestling territory. So definitely uh, stay tuned in, Jay, and we'll get into that. All right. So with that said, we got a lot of MMA to cover. I definitely want to give a shout out to East Coast MMA. They're giving out an awesome promo code, which I will be sharing with you guys once we get into the segment. So with that, let us talk some MMA, shall we? iTake Radio's MMA segment is brought to you this week by East Coast MMA, which you can use a brand new promo called Beast Coast. That's their promo code that they're giving out, and they will be giving you free shipping on orders over $50 or more. They have two locations here in New York City, one in Rockville Center and one in Brooklyn. Uh, great spot. I picked up a Vanderlei Silva t-shirt there. Zach is a, is an awesome guy. He owns East Coast MMA, and the cool thing is that he has UFC on a console on PlayStation 3, and he'll actually play you, and if you beat him, he'll give you a discount on whatever gear you want to buy. So if you're in, in the Brooklyn area or you want to head out to Rockville Center here in New York City, definitely head out and check that out because, like I said, a great promo code plus if you beat him in UFCs on uh, if you beat him in the UFC game on PlayStation Three. Oh, what is all this Skype stuff? Dog? What the hell is happening? Hold on a minute. Oh, okay. Thank you for that, Andrew. I see it. <laughs> anyway, as I said, if you go to East Coast MMA, you play Zach, you beat him. He'll give you a break on whatever purchase you have. But if you want to do mail order, uh, you can head over to East Coast MMA's website. I'll give you the link in the show notes and use the promo code Beast Coast, lowercase, and you'll get free shipping on orders of $50 or more. All right. So this past weekend, we had UFC on Fox 11. Now, the UFC on Fox events have been improving substantially the last couple of months. They've been getting better and better. And this this weekend's card did not disappoint. A lot of really, really great fights there. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about Pat Healy, Jorge Masvidal, which was a great fight. Uh, Jorge Masvidal continues to show that he is a force in the lightweight division. Him and Pat Healy put on a tremendous, tremendous display of violence. I I, I was on the edge of my seat the entire fight. Uh, Jorge Masvidal definitely was a beast in this fight, but Healy was no slouch. Masvidal took the victory via unanimous decision, and I thought it was just a tremendous, tremendous fight. Also, I was happy to see Thiago Alves back in action. He took on Seth Bozinski in a very, very solid fight. Alves back on the winning track, taking the fight via unanimous decision. Now, the one fight that, that really got me was... And and this is the craziness, Yoel Romero and Brad Tavares. Yoel Romero, everybody talks about uh, Soldier of God. Um, ben is a is a, uh, he, a big fan of the guy. He talks very well of him whenever he's been on. And um, Yoel Romero and Brad Tavares put on an awesome, awesome fight. Very, very solid technique. But Brad Tavares is not a scrub, so he didn't go down without a fight. Yoel Romero took victory via unanimous decision. And a lot of people were complaining because they're like, oh, man, so many unanimous decisions. I don't complain about that because the fights themselves are extremely, extremely enjoyable. A lot of great uh, stand-up and a lot of great technique being shown, especially with Yoro Romero and Brad Tavares. Uh, like I said, just great technique from both guys. This loss, I feel, did not hurt Tavares. He looked very competitive in this fight, and I really, really enjoyed it. Now, Edson Barboza and Donald Cerrone, uh, the cowboy 
Barboza's a guy that everybody speaks very highly of. You always hear Joe Rogan jumping on the Barboza train. Yeah, man, this is going to be crazy. You know, Edson Barboza's a beast. Donald Cerrone caught him with a jab. He hit him with a straight jab. Barboza got dizzy. And rather than Cerrone jumping for the kill, get this, he took his back and secured an excellent textbook rear naked choke to secure the victory. Three minutes, 15 seconds in the first round. Awesome performance by Donald Cerrone, uh, putting putting his stamp once again on the lightweight division, showing that he's more than just a quote-unquote gatekeeper. So I was I was thrilled with this fight. Like I said, he caught him with a jab. It was nasty. And um, Cerrone, once again, making a, a big statement at 155. So it, it's funny because they were saying that he actually called Dana White because of a guy that dropped out of this weekend's fight card. And he said that he was ready to cut weight and jump in the cage and fight that guy. Donald Cerrone is a beast. And um, I definitely got to give credit where credit is due with that performance because it was definitely sick. Now, the ladies came in on the co-main side of things. Liz Carmouche, Misha Tate. And the funny thing is with this fight, everybody's like, oh, you know, Misha Tate has to come in there and she has to win decisively because everybody feels that those two losses to Ronda have been messing with her psychologically. You know, it's it's weird, but I can kind of see where people are getting that vibe from. But me personally, I disagree. I think Carmouche definitely brought a different aspect out of Misha Tate. Misha Tate looked really calm in there. She didn't look like she was trying to rush through the fight, trying to make a big statement. Um, exactly like Val just said, cupcake is a cupcake. Uh, you know, definitely she she looked she looked comfortable. She looked at ease with Liz Carmouche, and you know, Misha Tate definitely was the aggressor in the later rounds. She ended up securing the victory via unanimous decision. Now, the funny thing is that a lot of people are saying, "Oh, you know, Gina Carano wants to come back and she wants to fight Ronda." Honestly, if Misha Tate, um, I mean, if if Gina Carano comes back, I would let her fight Misha Tate. And the winner of that fights Ronda because to me, I feel that that Gina Carano, she's going to come in. She's been she's been out of the sport for a couple of years. I think it's five years since she's last been in the cage and to come in and have a fight against Ronda Rousey and possibly get embarrassed. I'd rather she go in there, get the ring rust off, fight Misha Tate. I think they would have a tremendous fight. I think um, Gina Carano stand up would allow Misha Tate to test her stand-up. I think it would definitely be a fight that would be extremely exciting, and it would definitely generate a lot of buzz. You got to look at it this way. When it comes to stars for the women's division, it really is Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Misha Tate has mainstream appeal. You know, she's easy on the eyes, and she goes out there and she delivers great performances. I mean, now that she's winning, you know, she, she got her first win under her belt in the UFC, I think the pressure is off, and it's something that we can definitely be on the lookout for. Now, on the heavyweight side of things, and this is huge, Travis Brown, Fabricio Verdum, uh, winner goes on to challenge Cain Velasquez um, in Mexico City for the next UFC card. There was a lot riding on this fight. Everybody felt that Travis Brown was going to come in there, use his incredible punching power to secure himself a victory. I don't know what was in the water, but Fabricio Verdum was the one that really worked the striking game. He put in a tremendous amount of work. I'm talking uh, just everywhere, everywhere the fight went, Fabricio Verdum just looked solid. Uh, his his kicks, his punches, uh, it was all solid from start to finish. It really showed the the experience factor in this fight with Fabricio Verdum just decisively taking it to uh, Travis Brown, especially in the first three rounds. I think... I think in round four, Brown started to to hit his stride a little bit, but I don't think that at that point it was it, there was any chance, unless obviously he knocked out Verdum. But Verdum took the victory via unanimous decision. 
Um, like I said, it was a tremendous, tremendous card. I felt that Fabricio Verdum needed this because this was, in my opinion, very, very important for him, especially going into uh, a title opportunity because the problem is everybody talks about Cain Velasquez and you know how Cain Velasquez is this monster in the organization and he's just a beast. And you know what? I agree. I think Cain Velasquez is a serious problem and a serious force at heavyweight, but he is not this, this mysterious puzzle that can't be solved. I mean, we know Junior Dos Santos, you know, solved that puzzle with a punch to the back of the head. You know, it's that we know, we know he solved that puzzle. The thing with Cain Velasquez that makes him extremely dangerous is the fact that in every fight he continues to improve. Plus he has tremendous punching power and he rarely, rarely resorts to need to requiring his wrestling. He has a tremendous wrestling background that he doesn't even need to use because his punching power is so nasty. And that's something you got to consider. So looking at this fight, I think Fabricio Verdum with his improved striking is going to make a very, very exciting fight for Cain Velasquez. Not to mention the fact that if the fight goes to the ground, it can either turn into a grind fest with, you know, Cain Velasquez using ground and pound and, and wrestling for, you know, the, the smother and cover or it can turn into a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu submission from Fabricio Verdum, who's, you know, he's got world-class BJJ. The guy can go in there and he can lock in a submission like this. You're talking about a guy who submitted Fedor, a legend in this sport. Don't let don't let Dana White brainwash you into thinking that Fedor is not a legend. Fedor is, is, is without a doubt one of the legends in this sport. When you talk about MMA Mount Rushmore, Fedor's got to be up there. I mean, we could talk Hoist Gracie, we could talk Ken Shamrock, but but Fedor is that guy. Fedor is, is, a, is a problem. And for Fabricio Verdum to secure the submission victory on Fedor was, you know, is a testament to the guy's, uh, his ability and just the fact that at that point he was still growing as a fighter and he's continuing to grow. So just saying it was it was a great card overall and even the Bellator card from Friday night was nasty too uh we crowned the brand new welterweight champion as Douglas Lima defeated Rick Hahn via TKO the the corner stopped the fight because it was a complete bloodbath um an awesome card Marcin Held secured another victory via submission with a triangle choke in the uh season 10 lightweight tournament semifinal also Carl Amasu defeated Dave Gomez via split decision and Patricky Pitbull defeated Derek Campos uh, via TKO punches in the lightweight tournament semifinal. So with that, Pitbull will be meeting Marcin Held at the next Bellator event. Of course, the winner of the tournament goes on to challenge for the lightweight title. So definitely a solid card from Bellator this past Friday. Um, this weekend, we got UFC 172. The weigh-ins are at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow. You can watch them on MyTakeRadio.com. So if you are out and about and you want to check the weigh-ins, of course, the big one, Glover Teixeira facing off against John Jones. We're going to see if Glover Teixeira's knockout power can dethrone the uh, the very outspoken Johnny Bones Jones, who has been making a lot of waves this week, um, talking about Chuck Liddell. Well, Chuck Liddell pretty much said that he would whoop John Jones' ass and uh, John Jones responded by asking Liddell to come out of retirement and have a super fight. Uh, I think it's it's very, uh, you know, it's funny. If, if Chuck Liddell hadn't been knocked out the amount of times that he'd been knocked out, I think I think Chuck Liddell would definitely uh, create puzzle pieces out of John Jones' jaw. It, it, you know, the funny thing, I like John Jones. I think he's a, he's a tremendous athlete. He does great things for the sport. But sometimes he talks out of his ass a bit. And I understand that he wants to be the heel, you know, that... 
that that's what sells tickets and stuff. And it does to a degree, but other times it just comes off like you being a complete fucking douchebag. That's all I'm saying. Fight bonuses. Let's talk about that. Of course, UFC on Fox 11 had tremendous, tremendous fights. Uh, Donald Cerrone, of course, took a performance bonus for his beautiful technique with the uh, jab into, uh, you know, uh, rear naked chokes victory. Uh, the other performer, uh, performance bonus went to Alex White. And the fight of the night honors went to Tiago Alves and Seth Bazinski, which is definitely uh, well-deserved. I, I felt that, you know, overall, the, the new structure for fight bonuses is pretty solid now. Some people complained, thinking that it was going to water down the fights. Really didn't. I think calling it performance bonuses, it's the same thing. I mean, Donald Cerrone won via submission, and he got it. Fight of the night went the way it went. Everybody gets 50 grand. Everybody wins. Simple as that. So it's been a while since I've discussed the Nevada State Athletic Commission. We all know that Keith Kaiser stepped down, and a lot of people were wondering who was going to take his place. And things have been pretty quiet, but MMA Junkie reports that Robert Bennett has been named to the position. Uh, Bennett was actually one of three finalists alongside Michael Martino and Jeff Mullen. So um, the crazy thing is Bennett is a former FBI supervisory special agent and Marine Corps captain. So, you know, this is a guy who's who's got very strong integrity. He's got a government background. He's, he's not going to fuck around, it looks like. So it's going to be very interesting. I have a feeling we're going to start seeing more uh, suspensions from the Nevada State Athletic Commission with this guy on board. We shall see what happens. So, as I said, we got UFC 172 this Saturday. Uh, the weigh-ins are tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, John Jones, Glover Teixeira is your main event. Uh, Phil Davis is taking on the returning Anthony Rumble Johnson, which I think is going to be uh, a show stealer for sure. Uh, Luke Rockhold will be taking on Tim Boach. Uh, Jim Miller's taking on Yancey Medeiros. And Andre Feely is taking on Max Holloway. Now, the prelims are going to be on Fox Sports 1 at 8 o'clock. Uh, Joe Ellenberger was scheduled to take on Wagner Roca, but Ellenberger had to drop out. So, um, definitely uh, very interesting. Now, the thing about this is, and this was the, the thing that everybody was talking about, originally Bobby Green was scheduled to be on that card to take on Jim Miller, um, but he had to withdraw. Yancey Medeiros was pulled from his fight with Joe Ellenberger. He's going to fight uh, Jim Miller now. Then Wagner Roca was supposed to take on Joe Ellenberger, but then an injury happened there and that fight was scrapped. Now, as I was saying, you know, Donald Cerrone was talking about coming in and facing uh, Joe, uh, facing Joe Ellenberger and who knows? We may we may still see that. Anyway, like I said, uh, UFC 172 goes down this Saturday. Pay-per-view, 10 p.m. Uh, prelims, Fox Sports 1 at 8 o'clock. And if you have UFC Fight Pass, you can see two fights there beginning at 7 p.m. So let's talk about, and, and this is the crazy thing, let's talk about this double standard that everybody's been talking about with uh, Dana White and Ronda Rousey. And here's the thing. A couple of, we- a couple of months back, we talked about... Um, Matt Brown making some statements about Fallon Fox, getting himself in trouble. A lot of people speaking for poorly about Fallon Fox. For those of you that don't know, Fallon Fox is a transgender fighter. Uh, she, she, you know, it, she originally was a man who is now a woman and is fighting as a woman in the sport of mixed martial arts. Now, this particular individual has made a lot of waves, obviously, because women feel that, that there's an unfair advantage, et cetera, et cetera. But either way, the reason I'm bringing up Fallon Fox is because of what's happening with Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey and Chris Cyborg have been exchanging words for the last couple of months because Chris Cyborg wants to fight Ronda. Ronda wants to fight Cyborg, but doesn't, but wants Cyborg to come into her weight class. 
Either way, Cyborg is doing her best to get into uh, that weight class to fight Ronda Rousey. Now, the funny thing about this is that if you've looked up Slick, if you can do me a favor, pull up Chris Cyborg and put a picture of her in the chat room. Or actually, let me see if I can pull one up. Well, the thing about Chris Cyborg is Chris Cyborg is, you know, a lot of people say she looks like Vanderlei Silva in a dress. Now, you know, it, whatever you could say, not not every woman's going to, you know, not every woman's a swimsuit cover model, but she it depends on how she's been photographed. She's she's a you know, she's a fairly a fairly pretty woman. But in any case, what's been happening is that Rhonda took it upon herself. I'm going to share this picture. Here you go, guys. That's Chris Cyborg. So Rhonda Rousey said that, you know, she doesn't want to fight it. She referred to Chris Cyborg as an it versus, you know, a she. And a lot of people are talking about this because, you know, if any other fighter says something negative, thank you, Slick. If anybody says something negative about, you know, Fallon Fox or any other fighter, they're automatically disciplined. Now, the funny thing about this is that not only is Ronda Rousey speaking off color about Chris Cyborg, I can understand if she's like, you know, she's a bitch or she sucks or whatever, but she's really just, she's speaking in a way that really is extremely disparaging. On top of that, Dana White, who is the president of the organization, went on to speak poorly of Cyborg and went as far as saying that she looks like Vanderlei in a dress. Now, as the president of the organization, you have to have a certain level of decorum. You have to have a certain level of professionalism, regardless of how you feel about an individual whether it's poor business or not, you're you're the face of the organization, dude. You have to scale that back. So, as I've said, you know, a lot of people are saying that Ronda Rousey should be held to the same disciplinary standards as other fighters due to the way she speaks. Now, I want to put this to Jay because we all know, you know, Vince McMahon, very outspoken. And, you know, if Vince McMahon spoke poorly of one of his superstars... And I, and I want Jay's opinion on this because Jay, much like me, I want to see if he feels the same way. If Vince went on TV and said, you know, CM Punk is a punk ass bitch for taking his ball and going home. Do you feel that Vince McMahon is representing the organization poorly if he did that? I'm curious. I'm just curious. Well, you know, <laughs> but, you know, again, you know, bear with me here, Jay. You know, I want I want to see if, if you if you're in the same camp. Because the way I feel is that Vince McMahon is your your face. He's the he's the face of your organization. And as such, he's held to a certain standard. Same thing with Stephanie McMahon. Same thing with Triple H. And people have said this before. Uh, being a consummate professional speaks volumes about your organization. Don't get me wrong. Vince McMahon is, has come out of character on occasion, you know, with Bob Costas. And he's occasionally got a little high strung. But for all intents and purposes, Vince McMahon is always pretty even keel. He does say some stuff, but, you know, it's it's stuff to create a buzz. Dana White's problem is, as much as I love the guy and I think that the guy is is done great things for the sport, there are certain things he should not be involved in. And I understand that Ronda Rousey's your pet project and you you probably go to bed every night wishing you could get in her drawers. But let's be realistic. You are uh, the face of your organization. You are the guy that everybody associates with the UFC. You know, you 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 can't do that shit. And that's what it is like for him to say, oh, you know, she looks like Vanderlei with a dress. Number one, you're 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 calling Vanderlei Silva ugly. Don't get me wrong. Vanderlei Silva is a very scary looking man. We know this, but 
you know, you can't do that. What does that do for the self-esteem of of women in mixed martial arts that, you know, they ha- they feel that maybe they're not uh, Sports Illustrated cover girl ready or Maxim magazine ready. You know, there there's girls that are following these these athletes as role models, you know? It, it it's it's just crazy to me. And and don't get me wrong, Chris Cyborg, she juiced up and that's definitely something that, you know, that's definitely something that that that's you know it, it's definitely a big cloud over her head but i just feel that you know you're you're kind of saying yo she looks real crow magnet like vandalay and you know maybe she w- when she was juicing yeah mate when she was juicing she definitely looked a little suspect and i'm trying to find a picture of of her early days when she was juicing uh you know what here here's a good one let me see if i can pull this up when this was when she was in strike force tell me what you guys think now here she is in Strike Force, and I think it was around this time that she was saying that they were saying that she's juicing. Now if you look at her there, you're gonna be like, wow, you know, she's she's you know, she's pretty she's pretty Vanderlei Silva looking. Now, if you look at her say right here, you know, she looks, you know, like a reg- like a regular lady, you know? It's it's just it's just you have to as as the head of an organization hold yourself to a to a certain standard. You know, and it's funny because Jay says Dana is a douche who wants to be in the light, in the limelight like his fighters, you know, and Cranberry Kid go says, good God. And it's it's funny, you know, it's it's just it's crazy to me because, like I said, you you look at individuals and you say to yourself, geez, man, you know that you should not get involved. If two fighters have this level of animosity towards each other, this is what you do. Ronda hates her. She hates Ronda. How much will it cost to get this done? Cyborg, can you make 135? Yes. Ronda, if she makes 135, are you going to give her the fight? Yes. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. And it's funny because everybody talks about Cyborg and how Ronda can can whoop her ass. But this was Gina Carano after her fight with Chris Cyborg, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that. That's Gina Carano post-fight against Chris Cyborg. So, you know, why would you not want to see this fight between her and Ronda? Why would you not want to see that? Look at her, look at her face, the face of women's MMA. Look at it. Please observe. Let, let me show you this one. Here's a good one. Look at that. Look at that meat hook to the side of the face right there. Just, just holding her hand and then punching the shit out of her. Who does not want to see that? I'm sorry, but it, it, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. The problem that I that I have, like I said, is Dana White should only serve as a promoter, a promoter, not a mouthpiece, not a guy sounding off at all reckless at the mouth as a promoter, as a promoter. That's the way it, that's how it has to be. Stop getting involved in all this shit because you're just painting a poor example for the sport. And like I said, it's just going to, it's just going to make an, it's just going to make women feel uncomfortable to fight for you because they're going to say to them, they're going to say to themselves, oh man, you know, if I'm not sports illustrated cover girl ready, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be marketed the same way. It's, it's just crazy, man. That's all, that's all I'm saying. So I did want to share this last picture. This was the contrast between Gina and Chris Cyborg during the weigh-ins, during the time that allegedly Cyborg was juicing. See, look at the contrast in in, in body types. Now, again, say what you want to say, but don't say that she looks like a dude with a dress. You know, it just it's just very, it's just poor, poor taste. That's all I'm saying. All right, so last bit of MMA news. Well, two things. First off, 
got to welcome Andre Arlovsky back into the UFC. The Pitbull is coming back into the UFC. It looks like he will be fighting by UFC 174. It looks like against Brendan Schaub. That's the rumor right now. And um, I don't know, man. I'm glad to see Arlovsky back. The guy was pretty solid. He, he went on a really, really bad losing streak, which got him cut from the organization. Then during his time away from the UFC, he went 6-1, and one, uh, you know, just putting in a lot of work. His last fight was a no contest against Tim Sylvia due to a, a kick on the ground, which the, you know, kicks on the ground were allowed, but the ref didn't give him permission to execute the kick. So again, Andre Olovsky, nice to see him back in the organization. And again, another face in the, in the heavyweight division, that's going to keep things very, very interesting. Anyway, the other bit of news, I want to announce that Gerald Harris, who originally fought for the UFC, fought in World Series of Fighting, uh, he also fought in the IFL and Dream, actually announced his retirement uh, on Twitter recently, and it's it's unfortunate. I felt Gerald Harris, he was 22-5, and five. Uh, the guy was a former Shark Fights champion, and you know it's uh, he's been in the MMA scene for eight years, and he was always exciting to watch. He went out there, he gave it his all, and I'm a little bummed to see him retire, but you know, I respect, you know, I respect the guy's decision. So there you have it. Gerald Harris steps away from MMA with a 22 and five record after being in the sport for eight years. Definitely want to wish Gerald Harris the best of luck. I think the guy is a, a, a talented fighter. All his fights in the UFC were always enjoyable and hopefully he'll, he'll teach or he'll coach because I think he still has a lot to offer the sport. And of course, if any other news develops, I will make sure to share it with you guys. All right. So that is going to wrap up this week's uh, MMA news. There's a lot to discuss on the wrestling side of things. So you know what? Let's get the ball rolling and talk some wrestling, shall we? Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Make sure to head over to WWEShop and use the promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 off of orders of $70 or more. Use the promo code WWESAVE10. You can find banners on MyTakeRadio.com and you can use the promo code as well. So before I get into this week's episode of Raw, I'd like to extend my condolences to the family of Daniel Bryan. Uh, a.k.a. Brian Danielson. Uh, it was announced uh, shortly before Raw went on air that Daniel Bryan's father had passed away. Now, the funny thing, um, you know, the funny thing about it is, what did I botch, Jay? <laughs> what what did I botch? Are we going to start Botchamania MTR edition? Anyway, as I said, you know, Daniel Bryan's dad passed away, and from what's been said, he found out about it after he came back from his honeymoon, and you can see when he came out, he the emotion on his face and he still went out there. Oh, <laughs> there you go. My Take Radio's wrestling segment. Thank you. There you go. Wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> oh, Christ. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, hearing hearing that Daniel Bryan lost his dad, this is a guy who's had a tremendous year, won the belt, decided to, you know, he married the the girl of his dreams, you know, depending on on what you're reading and to have all of that and then 
just to have this, you know, to experience this loss, there was it, it, it this loss, excuse me, it was very unfortunate. And it was it was crazy that as as a professional still, he went out there and he participated in the angle. You can see his emotion all the way down. As soon as that music hit and he comes out with his wife, it was it was just crazy. And, and you know, as somebody who's, you know, endured the 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 loss of a parent it, it it sucks you know and you try to keep your your emotions in set in in check and it's funny because Jay says I thought Daniel Bryan's father's death was a work it's crazy because I initially thought it was a work but then you know certain websites that are really really newsworthy were like hey man you know his um you know his dad his dad passed away for real it was legit and you could just see it man like he came out and even though he was doing this whole angle with Kane you can see on his face that he just he was just destroyed inside and it it was funny the outpouring of support you saw just on random instagram pictures from wwe and people were you know passing on their condolences to Dan, uh, to daniel bryan and for him to come out and take the beating he took from kane not only was it effective for three reasons number 1 it was effective because it allowed kane to just be a monster once again number 2 it allowed you to write Daniel Bryan off television while he dealt with his personal problems. And number three, Stephanie McMahon as a heel completely turned the corner. You know, it, it was it was it was he it, he completely turned the corner. Uh, well, excuse me, she Stephanie McMahon's heel at tactics were just on on a on a on a crazy level during that segment. There wasn't anything genuine about her telling Kane to stop. There wasn't anything genuine about, but it was it was such a snarky, underhanded, just a backhanded way of being a complete asshole that it really, really put the segment over the top. And like I said, Daniel Bryan, the, the guy gets gets even more respect for going out there and and taking the ass whooping he took. And on top of that, you know, he ate, he ate a, a tombstone on the steps. He had a tombstone pile driver on the announce table, which, by the way, didn't give way. So somebody did a great job reinforcing it. And, um, you know, Stephanie McMahon calling Kane a bastard. It was it was it was just it just brought the entire segment full circle. Now, the funny thing is that when you look at that segment, you say to yourself, damn, you know, it, it was good to see Kane being a badass. Now, the problem is people were, were complaining, oh, Kane has been watered down with the corporate Kane gimmick and blah, blah, blah. I don't think so. I really felt that Kane being corporate Kane for the amount of time that he was, was actually, it was, it was okay. It actually worked. I really felt that overall corporate Kane was a, was a nice stopping point for, you know, the big red monster. It's it's very easy to say, oh, you know, Kane, Kane is going to go out there and he's just going to whoop ass and that's fine. But sometimes, you know, you need a breather, you need a, a, a refresher. But in any event, I actually got the, the video from this past Monday. So if you didn't see this beating that Daniel Bryan took, check this out. Oh! 
And Daniel Bryan trying to... Oh, it's killing a Kane! Kenji Bryan in midair! And Kane! Oh, no! Driving Bryan in the barricade! Kane, that's enough! That is enough. So there you have it. I don't want to. I don't want to play too much of the clip because then you know I don't want. I don't want our friends at GFQ to get in trouble. But um, as I was saying, um, you know, overall it was just a, a tremendous segment. Daniel Bryan really sold it. He put it over the top. And the only thing was, you know, Brie Bella's horror movie scream was not on point. But overall, just like I said, a, a great segment to put it over. And you know, Daniel Bryan he'll probably take some time off, leading to. Uh, he probably won't be back till the week before Extreme Rules or maybe at Extreme Rules. And then that'll just be a nice way for him to come and, and feud with Kane for a little bit and kind of a stopgap before his next major feud, which which will work. I think it'll work. So the Intercontinental title tournament uh, raged on. Sheamus took on Wade Barrett. And if you're a well-versed wrestling fan, you probably said to yourself, oh, Sheamus is going to take it. And I really, really thought that Sheamus was going to take that match because Sheamus is, you know, he's a guy that WWE wants to get over so badly. But Bad News Barrett is is riding on a on a really, really huge wave of momentum. And I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with not only the way that the match worked out, but, um, you know, the best part was that Barrett went over clean. You know, I really, really liked the way that worked. I felt that that Barrett is starting to come into his own. I think he, he getting the Intercontinental title back is a great way to start setting him up for a run in the upper card. The problem is Sheamus, the, the thing with Sheamus is he's he's a good character, but he's very, very one-dimensional. Very, very one-dimensional. And, you know, him and Sheamus have worked together uh, in the UK, and, you know, they've had great matches on television numerous times, but... It's it's one of those things where you start seeing just just shades of brilliance. Like I was watching the match and I was like, Wade Barrett looks like he's running on a different gear. Like this is a guy that knows that he's this close, this close to making it to the next level. And sure as shit, he looked really good in that match. The uh, the bull hammer elbow from outside was a great way to do it. And it also adds a level of, hey, you don't know where this finisher is going to come from. Same thing, you know, with the Diamond Cutter, Stone Cold Stunner, RKO. You never know where the finisher is coming from, and I think that works. I, You know, I feel bad because as someone who was a fan of Chris Hero in Ring of Honor, and, you know, we all know Chris Hero used to use the elbow as his finisher, to see Wade Barrett doing it, you know, it's 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 a nice nod to to Chris Hero, who I'm a fan of, and I really liked I really liked the way Barrett is doing it. He's starting to come into his own. And like I said, he has he has the tools. He definitely he's got the look, he's got the mic work. It's all coming together right now. And I think that the right guy went over in this match. Some people are like, yeah, but Sheamus, he has all this potential. Sheamus is a main eventer and he got jobbed out. Cause that's the funny thing. And you know, this goes back to um our interview with Danny DeMonto from last week about, you know, fans automatically saying somebody's getting buried or jobbed out. Sheamus did not get jobbed out in this match. On the contrary, it was a super competitive match that ended the way it should have. You know, that's that's how it goes. Val says Sheamus is boring and Slick says Sheamus versus Barrett is no job. Either winning is a solid match. I agree 110%, but people were saying that Sheamus got jobbed out. And it's funny because Quark says and, you know, he wrote an article about about Sheamus not too long ago that Sheamus has like this huge fan base that's very vocal. Um 
you know, it's just it, it was just amusing to me that people were actually saying that Sheamus did the job in this match. Like I said, super, super competitive. Um, we got a nice promo from the Wyatts, as usual. Nothing shocking there. Um, second match of the night, Los Matadores and El Torito taking on 3MB and their newest member, Hornswoggle. Now, here's the funny thing about this match. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, all right, 3MB, whatever, the jobbers, the comedy guys, whatever. But then you realize that it's midgets. It's midgets that they want to make sure are the are front and center during that. And I'm just like, ugh, just the, the midgets, the midget wrestling. Like, what year is this? I understand, you know, you want to have, like, the minis and shit like they used to do on, on Lucha Libre on Channel 47. But come on, man. It's 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 terrible. Like I just felt that there's so many great tag teams that can be showcased. I mean, whatever happened to to Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel? They were a solid tag team. Uh where the hell is Evan Bourne? You know, like it it's just it's just really really weird. Cranberry Kid says Hulk Hogan wrote that script. I you know what? The way that the that match was booked and how terrible it was, it was it was just shit. I was I couldn't I couldn't really bring myself to understand why they went the way they went. I'm like, yo, this is fucking abysmal. It was it was so abysmal and so terrible. But, you know, I guess it, 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 you had to break up the monotony before Evolution came out and gave themselves the stroke job. So Evolution came out and I shared their brand spanking new super awesome t-shirt. But I wanted to show you... Um, the the beautiful video package that Evolution decided to share for themselves because I have to admit that if there's one thing WWE are masters of is excellent excellent production and this Evolution video package definitely was uh, one of the high points of the broadcast. Check this out. You see, in this industry, just like in life, everything evolves, and what you see in this ring before you. It's the greatest example of evolution you will ever see. The most destructive force that WWE has ever seen. The animal Batista. That's when Batista was awesome. Awesome video package from those guys. Definitely solid work. Um, as always, like I said, their production is top, top notch. Now, the thing that that gets me is everybody talks about, oh, well, you know, Evolution's gonna come back. They're gonna they're gonna make the Shield look like shit. 
I don't think so. I think this is going to be an end, uh, one of those feuds where the Shield is going to come out. The, they're going to benefit from this feud for three reasons. Number one, everybody says that this is going to lead to the inevitable Roman Reigns Triple H singles match, which a lot of people are saying, oh, you're going to see at SummerSlam. Number two, there's the the specter that everyone is talking about of war games. You guys remember WCW War Games, two rings, two K, uh, one big cage with two rings, all hell breaks loose. And sure, can, can it happen? Will it happen? Who knows? But I, I'll tell you this: there's there's definitely an opportunity for some amazing storytelling, compounded with the fact that they're saying that Batista is going to take some time off because obviously you got to start ready, getting ready to promote guardians of the galaxy. You, you start seeing why some of this makes sense. Now, the whole reasoning of, of the feud with evolution works from a legitimacy standpoint. Thank you, slick. But it also works because you're using guys that even if they lose, it doesn't hurt them. Like, think about this. If the shield beats evolution, it's not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? Like Randy Orton is not going to, he's not going to suffer if he loses in that match. Batista, if he eats the pinfall and he disappears for a little bit and comes back, everybody will forget. But the shield needs to be the aggressors in this instance. Because like I said, I think, I think evolution's one of those things where it's, it's essential for, for getting the shield over, but it's not something that's mandatory for the long term. Uh, John is asking, how long do you think evolution is going to last? I think, you know, probably through SummerSlam, you know, you know, that I agree with what Slick is saying, probably through SummerSlam, if that, because like I said, Batista has to go and promote Guardians of the Galaxy, which comes out in August. So I think there's definitely, you know, you're going to see some synergy there and you're going to want to get that front and center. So keeping evolution in the mix with that, you can say, you know, Batista, the movie star, you know, Randy Orton, the the Viper and, you know, the game Triple H. And of course, as I was saying earlier, there's rumors that we're going to see Ric Flair on Raw this Monday. Now, we could talk about Ric Flair and his involvement with Evolution, but like I said last week, I think Evolution would benefit from a new member, somebody young, somebody fresh, and that person can just be the fourth member. Like, let's you kind of want to switch things around. You want Triple H to play the Ric Flair role, then maybe you want to move Orton into the Triple H role and Batista, you know, he, he he stays in his role. And then you bring in a brand new talent, maybe a young up-and-comer. Uh, you know, I, I would have said that Bo Dallas would have been good for that. Or like I said last week, Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte, would have been great because that way you add another, you know, multi-generational superstar to the mix. And there's, you know, there's things there. With regards to... Uh, you know, Jay says that there's going to be a traitor in the shield. If that's the case, I definitely think that Reigns, uh, Reigns is going to be betrayed by Rollins and Ambrose and Reigns is going to get the face run and then Rollins and Ambrose will stay heels. That's probably how it's going to go because that way by, by turning on Reigns, it just makes Reigns a stronger face. If that, if that even happens, Slick says that Brad Maddox should be in Evolution. You know what's funny? I would have agreed with you if they haven't if they hadn't ruined Brad Maddox so much. It's like he's supposed to be the GM of Raw and you don't even know it. You don't even know that the guy's GM of Raw because Triple H is just running the fucking show. So the the whole GM role is a waste. But like I said, I think that you know a, a young up and comer, you know, Bo Dallas would be good, Charlotte would be good. I'm trying to think of somebody else that would be a 
a good addition to evolution that would work. I would have said, um, you know, I would have said Ted DiBiase Jr. if he hadn't left. But if I can say anybody else on the current roster, I'd say Cody Rhodes. I think Cody Rhodes would be a great addition. You know, another another multi-generational uh, superstar. And I mean, don't get me wrong, he feuded with the authority. But you know what? Feuds get swept under the rugs immediately. John says that you could bring someone up from NXT. Well, like I said, either Charlotte or Bo Dallas would have been good for that. But at the end of the day, you know, all that aside, the evolution feud with the Shield is going to make the Shield rock stars. Like I said, the losses aren't going to hurt any of those guys. If Triple H has to eat a pinfall, it's not the end of the world, especially if he's got to put Roman Reigns over. Um, you know, do, do we want to see evolution get the win? Absolutely not. Because in doing so, you kind of just put the boot on the shield. But if the shield comes away victorious and it just leads to, you know, maybe one more match or some sort of a singles match or maybe a tag team match, we, we can we can definitely see something. But you do need an extra face in evolution, especially if Batista is going to step away because it allows you to keep that that stable fresh plus create a new star. Like I said, we'll see what happens, but... You know, there's a lot of directions that this can go in. Uh, The Cranberry Kid says the Ascension versus the Shield. I would love to see that. I think the Ascension are going to be huge when they get the call up to the main roster. They are going to be a problem when they get up there. Uh, The third match of the night saw the Usos and the Rhodes Brothers, which, of course, was the the planting of the seeds of dissension between Cody and Goldust. And... um, it's pretty much, it, it's a no-brainer that probably Cody will be the one doing the heel turn. I've always felt Cody is an effective heel. He's a, he's a great heel, especially when he's just dialed in and his mic work is on point. You're getting, you're just getting great Cody Rhodes. I mean, when Cody Rhodes was wearing the mask and using the paper bags, he was on top of the world, promo-wise. You know, it was, it was fantastic. He'd come out, hey, put this bag on your head because you're an ugly piece of shit. It was it was epic. It really, really worked. And I think we need that. We need more of that. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. But I do feel that Cody Rhodes is destined to be a heel once again. And of course, the inevitable match with his brother Goldust is, you know, it's it's academic at this point. So the feud between Fandango and, you know, Santino and Layla and Emma continues with a match between Emma and Layla, which was surprisingly pretty decent. I did I did feel that, you know, uh, Emma has tremendous potential to just get over with the younger demographic. I already see you see the little kids doing the dance and the bubbles and all that stuff. It definitely gets gets her noticed by the fans. I think the fans are into it. I just feel that she you know, being being in this gimmick with Santino is a gift and a curse because obviously it makes it makes people get into the gimmick and get into the character and it's great, but you don't want to just be pigeonholed like Santino is. I think in Emma's case, you know, the whole goofy quasi Hitler dance that she does, it works. You know, she's got she's got great she's got solid wrestling and Layla's definitely not a slouch. It was one of those instances where it was a divas match that didn't want to make you go to the bathroom and take a break. So overall, it was solid. Like I said, I just hope that we can move past this feud of of Fandango and Layla against Santino because it's really just becoming a weekly thing and it's wearing out its welcome. So Cesaro took on Jack Swagger and, you know, it was, uh, well, he took on R- RVD, correction. He took on RVD and um, Jack Swagger got involved 
And, you know, it was crazy because RVD secured the victory going into the um, IC title tournament due to Cesaro losing via countout. Now, here's the thing. The beauty of this, people were complaining like, oh, that was a cheap win, blah, blah, blah. And, and I saw it on Twitter, but it really wasn't a cheap win because Cesaro doesn't get the pin, so he doesn't look weak. Rob Van Dam gets to coast into the second round, and of course, he's he's not winning. I love Rob Van Dam. You know, I have a soft spot for all my ECW originals, and, um, you know, I can, I can tell you right now, Rob Van Dam is not winning that shit, so I, I can understand that, but I will say that his chemistry with Cesaro was on point. Cesaro had a lot of great spots with Van Dam in that match. I felt that we really started to see uh, Cesaro not only show that he can work with anybody, but that guys like Van Dam can still look credible alongside guys like Cesaro, which was definitely a, um, you know, that's that's what we were going for. That's what we wanted to see. And I felt that it was definitely executed well. Um, Cesaro still, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of potential. He's still got a lot of growth. And I guarantee you before uh, 2015 is over, Antonio Cesaro will be uh, WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, Barrett definitely is going to take it probably at Extreme Rules. I think Barrett and Biggie Langston, I think Biggie's kind of worn out his uh, his run with the belt. And Barrett definitely is going to get back the IC title. And it's going to just allow Barrett to to be back on television, get back with the crowd. Because in Biggie's case, I think Biggie he needs another run because it almost feels like he got swept under the rug the last couple of months. So maybe you want to give Biggie Langston a reboot, you know, a refresh and kind of get him back out there, put him back on the on the winning track, and then maybe we can uh start seeing some some better matches. Cause Biggie, I just feel that you know, he's treading water right now. He's got the belt, but it really doesn't matter. I think you'll have a great match with Wade Barrett, but that's that's pretty much where it ends. Now, I want to talk about this Oksana and Paige match. Um, I, I'm not a big Oksana fan. I've I've personally always felt that she was just garbage, but it was it was good for Paige to go out there and work with somebody different, and it was a pretty pretty solid match. I wanna I wanna share this with you guys because again, I felt that the match added a lot. And showed some some really good stuff. So let me. Uh, I gotta find a way to stop having YouTube autoplay. I used to have a plugin that used to stop it, but that plugin just took a dump the last couple of weeks. So check this match out. It was it was surprisingly good. I felt that that Oksana definitely worked well with Paige. Like I said, even though I'm not a big Oksana fan, the match itself was pretty solid. Check this out. You saw more of Paige in NXT than, than we did. I mean, you know, we we saw her first appearance here on Raw, and it was very successful. But how how did she do in NXT? She was she was the champion there she as well, right? She was the right? champion in NXT, yeah, unbelievably talented. Surprised me as much as anybody when she came down here to confront AJ Lee or thank her or whatever she claimed she was here to do. She somehow gets in in a match. We're gonna fast forward a little bit through this match because. We want to get more towards the end of it. Page is all about. You're the general manager of NXT, where Page came from, of course, in order to make. Look at this finisher. Now here's here's the thing about that. When when you're looking at, at that finisher, that finisher definitely looks very very solid. Uh, the only thing that I didn't like is that when you're when you're putting certain divas in that finisher, depending on how how big they are, or how broad they are, it doesn't look 
it, it, it looks harder to execute. Like when she did that, when you do a finisher like that on AJ or a diva that's more flexible, it just looks more it looks more dangerous. You look at it, you're like, oh shit. But you know, Oksana, she's she I don't know, she wasn't as flexible. So it didn't it, it looked cool. I mean it's a it's a great finisher. It's not a finisher you see a diva execute on the regular, but it definitely was you know, it, it could have been executed better only because um you know, like, like Slick just said, she's not putting that on Tamina. See, that's a very difficult, that's a difficult move to use on, on divas that don't seem to be very, very flexible. You know, that, like, that's the thing. Like Slick said, if she's not putting that on Tamina, I agree. And Jay says she'll probably use the page turner as the finisher. I wouldn't, I would not doubt it because Tamina is very broad. She's a, she's a bigger girl and it's tough to, to get the arms back far enough to where you can make that move look as devastating as it should be. Now, I could be wrong, and, you know, Tamina's surprisingly flexible and she pulls it off, but I just don't see that happening. As for Paige as a performer, I think that Paige as a performer, she is she is going to lead the way for a brand new crop of divas that's going to actually bring us back to what Jay talked about in his brand new face heel with, you know, the, with good wrestling, with good women's wrestling. I mean, uh, his latest column had, you know, the face heel of women's wrestling. And he acknowledged, of course, Trish Stratus is the face and Sherry Martell is the heel. And it's funny that he brought up Sherry Martell because that was the thing. You look at, um, an individual like sensational Sherry, uh, she'd go in there and she'd deliver just really, really solid, solid matches. And this was way before Trish Stratus and Lita. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't just hair pulling. There was legitimate wrestling. I mean, you talk about Sherry Martell. You talk about Luna Vachon, um, you know, Bull Nakano, um, Alundra Blaze. You know, you talk about any of those individuals during that WWE run. And you'll realize that there was definitely some wrestling. You know, there was some good wrestling in there. It wasn't just, it wasn't all hair pulling. You know, and and Slick Slick feels that um that Tamina is going to take the belt at Extreme Rules. I, um you know, Slick and I have discussed this and I, I feel that that taking the belt off of pay, off of Paige right now is going to it's going to damage her credibility at this point since she's kind of leading the charge. I think Tamina will will have a couple of matches with Paige. That'll be good, but I don't think they're going to put the belt on her right away. Do I think that Tamina is going to get the belt at some point? Absolutely. But I don't think it's going to be at Extreme Rules unless, unless, and this is with a big if, AJ comes back from sabbatical, interferes in the match, and then Tamina wins. But it's a bit of a stretch at this point. Definitely a bit of a stretch. So I want to talk about Alexander Rusev and pretty much just squashing Sin Cara dead. Sin Cara, obviously beloved by all the children uh is good to use when Rey Mysterio is not around he got the straight jobber entrance uh this week and I want to show you this because Alexander Rusev is going to be he's going to be your next big monster he's going to be the next guy that you know people people are going to be like oh man as soon as this guy's music hits an ass whooping is coming because that that's really the case I do think Rusev is going to be that guy you know he's not the biggest guy he's not the you know he's not seven feet tall but he exudes, you know, a good, uh, some really good ring presence, some really good ring awareness. And I want you guys to check out this match, this destruction of poor, poor, poor Sin Cara. Check this out. Look at that jumping knee to the torso. Just an ass whooping. Oh, man. Wow. 
life for our... And Lana, of course. No idea why there's a JBL chant, but... There you go. Stretch them tacos out of Sin Cara. Go ahead. See what I mean? The guy's a bruiser. It works, you know? There goes Sin Cara trying to... Oh, nope. Good night. Nope. Hold that. Hold that. Oh. A little bit of a fuck up there. Come back here. Hold that. There it goes. The no sell. Lana's having a heart attack. Stop the match. He's dead. This was an awesome spot right here. Oh, incredible power. Straight Ivan Drago style. Looks like a taunt from WWE 2K15. Oh. That could be a finisher, too. There you go. Camel Clutch. Sheiky make you humble. Look at that guy in the front row dressed like a member of the Shield. This guy right here. Right there, dressed like a member of the Shield. In the left-hand corner. Alexander Rusev looks like a guy that would give me breakfast at a deli in Brooklyn at like four in the morning. Oh, you want the hero sandwich? Okay, young guy, you want hero sandwich? No problem. Like that's what he looks like. He looks like that kind of a dude. Like just hello, you want ham sandwich? We got special today. Ham sandwich, two for one, two for one ham sandwich. Like that's that's what I get. That is what I get. Jay says um, Rusev does the nicest shape ups. <laughs> oh man. Jay Lana is damn. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody in the front row agrees with you, Jay. But like, like I said, Rusev is is a throwback. He's a throwback to the to the bruisers, to the really. I mean, it's very easy to say, oh look, it's Vladimir Kozlov 2.0, but it's really not because with Kozlov, they they dropped the ball because they wanted to have their own Fedor. You're looking at a guy that's legitimately looks the part has the wrestling, you know, he has the wrestling acumen to be a credible threat. And like I, you know, I've said this before, WWE is losing their current crop of big guys. You know, Big Show is on his last legs. Mark Henry's got a maybe another year or two most. Kane wants, to, you know, he's on the verge of retiring. We don't have any more big, monstrous-looking individuals that, you know, when they say, you're going to be facing a mystery opponent tonight, and they show the silhouette, 
you know it you know it's going to be Kane or the Big Show or Mark Henry. Rusev is going to be that guy. I think he's going to be the guy that he's going to come out there and just fuck people up and it's going to be extremely believable because he works very he works very tight, you know what I mean? Like you saw he he did the 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 Gator roll into that suplex with Sin Cara and it just looked it looked flawless. It looked perfect. It really really it looked really good. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, Jay says Rusev equals Umaga. Now, if you remember Umaga at first glance, when you looked at him, you're like, oh, this guy's going to come out playing the the head shrinker savage role. He's going to come out with with shrunken heads and shit. And then all of a sudden, this guy, he just, you know, before his passing, he just took this. He took his career to the next level. He was a monster in every sense of the word, you know, just just coming out there, delivering the thumb spike. It was like, oh, shit, this dude's a legit problem. And that's what I mean. You're you're seeing we need more of those, because at the end of the day, the shelf life of, you know, the great Kali, the big show, Mark Henry uh, and Kane is is very very limited we got to start creating these these big monstrous individuals and and you kind of have them already like i said you know you can do it with biggie langston you could do it with rusev you know those are guys that oh shit this guy's gonna come out here and whoop my ass and that's kind of that's kind of where it's going but with the only thing i have to say with rusev you have to book him very very slowly he's got to come out there and he's got to kill dudes dead until he runs into one dude who's not going to take any shit and even still, you'd you wouldn't let him lose cleanly. You'd let Lana interfere a couple times, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd allow him to grow gradually. Now it's funny, Cranberry Kid says Cena. You do not want Cena anywhere near Alexander Rusev. Absolutely not. If you want to ruin a guy's fucking gimmick before it even gets out of the gate, you let him wrestle John Cena. I'm surprised that Umaga actually came out looking pretty decent when he faced John Cena because let's let's be realistic. Any of these up-and-coming monsters that face John Cena come away looking like shit. Remember Ryback when Ryback was feuding with John Cena? He just he just came away looking like a complete fucking he, he just came out like a complete piece of shit. So um definitely not. I mean, you know, Rusev, you could put him guys like Cesaro, Biggie Langston. Um, you know, individuals of that caliber that you could kind of work that style. You know who you want to go with? You could probably do Rusev and fucking boring ass Sheamus, and it would at least work. It would work a little bit better. It would give Sheamus something to do, and you can have like that strong style match, you know, that's that's prevalent in Japan. I think it would work. Um, it would give Sheamus something to do, and it would be a guy that if Rusev beat him, it would give him some credibility as well. So John Cena faced the Wyatt family for the 85th time. Now, the funny thing about this is that the Wyatt family, this was a WWE poll where everybody was saying, oh, you know, who's John Cena going to face? One member of the Wyatt family, two members of the Wyatt family, or all three members? Now, if you guys know anything, you know that the WWE universe, especially the guys that are 18 to 34, are going to vote for the Wyatt family to go out there and dissect John Cena. And you know what? That's exactly what happens. You know, the only thing is that it's Cena booking 101. He's getting his ass kicked by three hardcore motherfuckers. Then all of a sudden he mounts this miraculous comeback. But, you know, again, it ends in a DQ. But it's it's just the, the, the superhuman, you know, that super Cena shit that I just can't stand. And that's what I'm saying. Like, 
any realistic superstar, main eventer or not, is facing three big motherfuckers, you're getting your ass kicked. Like, I don't understand that he comes back and all of a sudden he's overcoming the odds. And it's like, yo, come on with that shit. I understand he's, you know, he's your new, he's your new Hogan. Thank you, Jay. That's a great reference. Hogan versus the Heenan family. But it's, it's just, it, it's lost to me when they do that, because what it ends up doing is it hurts the other guys because it's like, yo, you guys can't even beat this one dude. And it just, it definitely hurts the credibility of the feud. Now, Are these guys going to go at extreme rules and tear it up? Absolutely. But I always feel that Cena's build up to these big matches is always the same shit. Him overcoming the odds and and just having that super Cena push, which we all know and love and hate some of us, depending on on what age group you're in. I, I do think that, you know, John Cena working with Bray Wyatt is fantastic, but I just don't like this really, really safe cookie cutter booking. It just shows that they're they're not they're very scared of making Cena look weak. The guy's been in the business for fucking years. It's not gonna hurt. It is not gonna hurt to let him look weak. On the contrary, by making Cena look vulnerable, it allows people to say to themselves, "Wow, you know, Bray Wyatt's got a chance here." Holy shit. Not, you know, oh, it's it's gonna be Bray Wyatt with the ass whooping and then Cena with the miracle comeback. It's just I just don't feel that works as effectively as it should. On the contrary, like I said, you want to kind of make your your hero seem like like he's 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 overcoming obstacles, you know? Like Jay just said, Cena should get his ass beat for like a year. They should do to Cena what they did to Daniel Bryan this year. Like seriously, like have him overcome legitimate odds, but I'm talking about him getting beat down and losing. I'm not talking about him, you know, losing via DQ or running. I'm talking about legit losing because think about it. Daniel Bryan got his ass whooped and see slick said that he had a shit year in 2012, but you know what? The funny thing was 2012. I remember that. And I do agree that they definitely were kind of going in that direction in 2012, but then they just shifted gears. I think that the best that John Cena looked and the most vulnerable was during his feuds with CM Punk. Because when he was feuding with CM Punk, that feud, it was a combination of great mic work and it could have gone either way because either it, it, it just definitely, it looked like, you know, Cena was vulnerable because he was facing a guy who not only had nothing to lose, but he had the people behind him. You know, everything that John Cena didn't have, he, you know, CM Punk did. He had the crowd behind him. He had the superstars behind him and it just, it just worked. It just worked. Jay says he should get hit by a car, thrown off a bus, shot, and win at summer at WrestleMania. <laughs> Terrible but true. You know, it's 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 just one of those things. And and like I said, I understand he's your Hulk Hogan. He's your modern day Hulk Hogan. But you know what? Even Hulk Hogan lost on occasion. And it didn't hurt him in the least. Whenever Hogan lost, yeah, it was a big deal, but it didn't hurt because it showed that his opponents were definitely guys that were credible. They were guys that that posed a legitimate threat. This, unfortunately, is not the case. Like I said, Super Cena booking with the Wyatt family, just it should not be done. It is a recipe for fucking disaster. That's all I'm saying. All right, so let's get into the wrestling news for the week. Uh, there's, there's quite a bit that needs to be discussed. Nothing too crazy, but a couple of news items, of course. Um... The big news that that was making a lot of rounds this week, Paul Heyman showed up on Steve Austin's podcast earlier this week 
And uh, Stone Cold was talking about the WrestleMania prediction he made that CM Punk was going to show up at WrestleMania. You guys remember I cited that and I said, damn, you know, I kind of feel that there's some truth to that because it's coming from Stone Cold. So Heyman said that the only way that could have happened is if Punk and Vince would have had a meeting first and a very wild move was pulled. Heyman said that he never thought Punk would be at the event. The funny thing was that Heyman also added to that, that he speaks to Punk quite a bit, but they don't really talk wrestling because it's a very, very sensitive subject. He said that the only people that know what happened are Vince McMahon, Triple H, and CM Punk. And the only way the rest of the world is going to know what happened is if one of those guys decided to reveal it. So, you know, Heyman did say that Punk doesn't really miss wrestling and he's doing fine. It's crazy. I, I Here's the thing. The, you know, Chris Jericho, Stone Cold Steve Austin, they're doing their own podcast, but Stone Cold Steve Austin, he, he takes the, the wrestling podcast to a completely different level. Not only that, but he gets just really, really awesome uh, tidbits of information from guys like, like Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's one of the realest dudes in the game, but it just felt it, it was so awesome to hear him and Stone Cold shooting the shit. I definitely recommend you guys check out Stone Cold's uh, The Steve Austin Show. It's on Podcast One. You could probably find it on iTunes and listen to that interview because it is it is amazing. It is amazing. Besides the fact that Stone Cold is just a natural, this is a guy that can transition into an advertisement like this. You know, the guy does live reads like a champ. Like, I try to get good at live reads, and the only reason I'm getting better at them, you know, for advertisements and stuff and, you know, not introducing segments wrong is because of guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin that deliver them so naturally. Plus, if you're talking about products that you support, it just it just works better. Now, Jay says, I'm done with this punk shit. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I'm, you know, I'm in the same boat. I am done with this punk shit. But you know what the thing is that the business has moved on without CM Punk. And while I do miss certain aspects of him being around, it, it's Cranberry Kids as CM who, um, you know, I while I do miss certain aspects of the product when he was around, it doesn't. <laughs> Fuck you, Jay. <laughs> breaking my balls about uh the wrestling segment being called the mma segment sue me i'll edit that shit out in post and then we'll forget that it'll ever happen anyway so as i was saying you know you're you're looking at at guys like this that are just complete naturals and they're you know with cm punk it's like the guy's a natural for this business he could come back to wwe a year from now and we can forget this entire incident happened he can go to ring of honor he can go to tna he can go wherever and people will follow him because he's just that type of a personality like honestly the wrestling the wrestling storylines have moved on without cm punk he is he is interchangeable I'm, and like i said i'm a big punk mark i have no, i make no no lies about that i'm a big mark for cm punk but I'm a realist. CM Punk hasn't been on television in months and the product hasn't suffered. You know, we still, we're still getting great wrestling. We're still getting great, great storytelling when, when applicable. And we're seeing the creation of lots of new stars. So yes, would I like to see another pipe bomb promo? Would I like to hear cult of personality? Would I like to hear it's clobbering time and looking at that watch? Of course, as a fan, it's, it's, it's something that I look forward to, but I respect his decision. You know, the guy, the guy took his ball. He went home and he did it on his terms. He's got the money. He's I'm sure he saved plenty of money and he, and he's got the mainstream exposure at this point. CM Punk could come back on a limited schedule and it'd be fine. That's all I'm saying. So let's talk TNA a little bit. 
which, you know, it, it's not something we do often, but we do. And um, it looks like Chris Saban is the latest name to be departing the TNA organization uh, once his contract expires in a few weeks. It also looks like Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian are also pretty much done with the organization as well. Taryn Terrell, who you remember had a really solid run last year, is coming back. She actually took some time off because she... Uh, had her, her her first child so you know she'll be back uh taryn terrell definitely can can help out the knockouts a bit i'm a little bummed that the departures of christopher daniels kazarian and chris sabin because all those guys are all solid solid workers of course it's 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 very easy to think that they'll be going to jared's global force wrestling it could happen but ring of honor will definitely you know that is is an organization that can that can do well with any of those guys involved I always felt that Chris Sabin, he he he's a very very talented wrestler, and he was just missing that that opportunity on the big stage. And I'd I'd love to see him in in NXT. I think he would do well in NXT. Frankie Kazarian, I think you know his time has come and gone. I've never been a huge Kazarian fan. I think he's good, but he's I just don't feel he's he's setting the world on fire. Christopher Daniels though. Uh, I'm a I'm a big Christopher Daniels fan. Uh, the guy's a comic book fan, which is which is cool, and he always has these real subtle comic nods and all the stuff he does. And he really really works well, whether it's in his own gimmick as the Fallen Angel or as Curry Man. He is a tremendous tremendous asset to any organization. And I've always felt that you know if he would have been given a chance in the in the WWE, he surely would have impressed. I think he he can still impress if. If, if given the opportunity, it's just crazy that TNA would give up so many of their founding wrestlers and, you know, just let them walk away from the business because they want to shave off some costs. You know, maybe if you wouldn't have given Hulk Hogan a fuckload of money when he came in, we wouldn't be having this mess. But that's that's a discussion for another day. Uh, Jay says that Kaz was uh, was good early on and he got watered down. That's that's a good way to say it. I think Kaz, when he first burst on the scene, when I was watching the TNA weekly pay per views, I was paying ten dollars a week. Um, he was he was on all cylinders. He had the long hair. He'd come out. He'd have all these crazy finishers and all these great spots. And then I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like Samson and Delilah, and you cut his hair, and he just becomes a complete generic wrestler like he just looks like generic creator wrestler at this point you know he's not like christopher daniels where christopher daniels has a great move set he has a unique look and he just goes out there you know he's got all these different awesome moves you know the koji clutch uh best moonsault ever you know christopher daniels is just a, a unique wrestler plus like i said if 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 push comes to shove you can throw him under a mask and instantly curry man which is never a bad thing so I want to talk about this very, very weird article that WWE.com put out. It was uh, called Eight Predictions for WrestleMania 31. Now, mind you, it's not every day that WWE puts out these very, very weird articles, especially ones like this. Like they've put out some some interesting ones. But this article I found to be interesting because it's it's predictions and the predictions that they had were were just really, really out of left field. So here they are. The top eight predictions for WrestleMania 31, courtesy of WWE.com. Number one, John Cena will join the Wyatt family. Definitely not happening. I could see Bo Dallas joining the Wyatt family alongside his brother Bray Wyatt, then John Cena joining the Wyatt family. I understand he'll turn, but that shit won't work. Uh, The second one, Roman Reigns will win the 2015 Royal Rumble match. I could see that. I could definitely see that. 
the WWE World Heavyweight Championship will be split back into two titles. Aha. Very interesting. Aha. Aha. The other one, uh, number four. Stephanie McMahon will target the Divas Championship. Eh. Interesting. Interesting. Zeb Coulter will form a stable of real Americans. Yes. I definitely wouldn't mind that. I definitely would not mind a stable of real Americans. Just, just, just super racially charged assholes. Definitely could work. Cody Rhodes will win and cash in money in the bank. Interesting. Very interesting. Cesaro will break away from Paul Heyman and challenge Brock Lesnar. Everybody's been talking about that. So I find that another interesting story, you know, another interesting prediction. And the last one, the undertaker will retire. Really? You think you don't think that the undertaker is not going to retire? Like, like, get the fuck out of here. Like out of all those eight predictions, that's the one that's the most obvious. Definitely the most obvious. Now, going back through it, Roman Reigns winning the 2015 Royal Rumble. Definitely a possibility. The World Heavyweight Championship being split back into two titles, it's it's weird because, you know, you know, it's it's weird because splitting the titles again would give a lot of guys opportunities where there are none. You know? I definitely think that. Stephanie McMahon getting back into, you know, into the in ring competition. It, it's weird because Stephanie McMahon, I don't even know where her wrestling skill set was. I remember, you know, there was one time where she was like the women's champion, but there was a lot of shenanigans involved. I don't even know what kind of wrestling she has under her belt, if any. I think maybe the, 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 the you know, the basic spots, you know, taking a back bump, stuff like that, I can see. But I just don't know if Stephanie McMahon has like a complete wrestling moveset besides, you know, Female move set one on WWE 2K15, but again, could be wrong. Uh, Cody Rhodes winning and cashing in money in the bank—that's always been teased. They've always said that Cody Rhodes is a guy that they're they really want to get behind and they want to push. Again, could happen. Cesaro breaking away from Paul Heyman—that's going to happen regardless. So take that for what it's worth. But again, like I said, very very interesting uh, bit of predicting from wwe.com i'm sharing the uh i'm pasting the predictions in the chat and you guys can check that out again make of it what you will so this sunday is tna sacrifice i got to check with um, our very own jay santi if he is going to be covering it but um, as of right now willow and kurt angle will be facing ethan carter and rockstar spud the committed match between Mr. Anderson and Samuel Shaw. It's funny, the Samuel Shaw character isn't completely terrible. Could be a little better, but it's not completely terrible. I definitely do like uh, his the, the, the chokeout finish that he uses. I just feel that the character is it's two steps away from becoming complete horse shit. So, again, make of it what you will. Uh, we got a tables match with Bobby Roode and Bully Ray. Um... It's funny, Jay said, can we trade TNA Batista and get Bully Ray back in WWE? I think um I think I could I, I think Bully Ray in WWE would be fantastic. You know? I, I definitely think that would be that would be fantastic. Um James Storm and Gunner in an I quit match. You know what the funny thing is? You look at Gunner, Gunner is the default wrestling guy. The long hair, the crazy tattoos, he's he's super jacked, and it's just that that's his gimmick he's just the big wrestling guy with the crazy back tattoo and the long hair like he doesn't have anything else going on except that 
Now, will he get a good match out of James Storm, who's who's very solid? Absolutely. But Gunner is just very, very one-dimensional. I don't I don't think he sucks. I just feel it's one-dimensional. Gun- <laughs> Jay Santi says, Gunner makes me feel like I can wrestle. <laughs> Poor bastard. He, he's, he's not that terrible, but there's room for improvement, for sure. Uh, the X Division Championship match between Sonata and Tigre Uno is... We're going to use a thousand different spots with two guys that nobody really gives a shit about in the hopes that one of them will get over, a.k.a. throw shit at the wall until it sticks. I like Sonata. I think his wrestling is tremendous. I think he's a great asset, but he needs a manager that speaks English. Like, you could get away with Curry Man not speaking English because it's a comedy gimmick and it works, but I do think that Sonata would be a better a better wrestler with some man you know you could have you could have brought over the great Muda and had him manage Sonata and it would have worked Tigre Uno has a great look easily a guy that you can market as your 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 face of the X division but what happened to Manic aka or formerly known as Suicide where the hell is he this is a guy that um that was doing interviews talking about how he made a shitload of money with TNA and then all of a sudden, he's nowhere to be seen. And it's crazy to me. Because Manic, when he was suicide, like suicide got over. Everybody was into it. He had the cool music. Um, he had a great finisher with the suicide solution. And then all of a sudden, Hogan renamed him, called him Manic. And then it just took a, com- the gimmick just took a complete shit. Anything Hogan touches turns to shit. And that was a gimmick that definitely just took a swan dive into shitville. And it's unfortunate because the guy the guy definitely delivered solid matches. So the Knockouts Championship match is Madison Rain and Angelina Love. I kind of feel that Angelina Love is going to walk away with the belt just because the beautiful people reformed. Um, they're getting a, a lot of buzz, but it's something we've seen before. But people, you know, the audience loves the beautiful people. Uh, they usually have the highest ratings, the highest rated segments on the program. So who knows? Maybe uh, Angelina Love will be rewarded for coming back to TNA and she'll get the knockouts championship. We shall see. And of course, the world heavyweight title is on the line as uh, Daniel Bryan 2.0, a.k.a. Eric Young, faces off against Magnus. Now, you know, I'm making fun of Eric Young and calling him Daniel Bryan 2.0 just because the, his his feud with Dixie Carter is so much like Daniel Bryan and Stephanie McMahon so much to the point that it's really gimmick infringement. And it's nothing against Eric Young. I think Eric Young is a very, very underrated and talented wrestler. But I just feel that if you're if you're going down that path of using him in a feud with Dixie Carter, don't make it verbatim the Daniel Bryan authority feud. Please don't do that. Because what you're going to end up doing at that point is just making Eric Young's title reign seem like you are borrowing it from Daniel Bryan. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I, I, I do I do feel that way when Dixie Carter is on screen. It's just bullshit at that point. Of course, the other one which was announced tonight is the Bromans and DJ Zima Ion in action against the Wolves with the TNA Tag Team titles on the line. Uh, the American Wolves from Ring of Honor have been in TNA for a couple of months now, and I just don't feel that they're they're at the stage where they should be. I think that the Wolves are a great tag team. They have an awesome look. They have tremendous tag team wrestling finishers and skills that would really be an asset to any organization, but I kind of see with the way they're looking in TNA, why WWE did not give them a deal. 
and, and, and like I said, I like Davey Richards. I think he's tremendous and Eddie Edwards. But unless you put the Wolves in there with five-star caliber tag teams on a consistent basis, nine times out of ten, they just end up treading water. Like, I like the bromance. They got a cool gimmick. It works. You know, the crowd is into them. They, they're very, very douchey. Their wrestling isn't complete shit. But once you strip them out of the equation, it almost looks like the Wolves don't really have anybody else. Like, we... I remember the days where we had Motor City Machine Guns, the Dudleys, um, Beer Money. You know, you had a, a decent stable of teams, uh, LAX, if you wanted to get real, real deep into it. And you had a decent amount of guys that could really give the tag team division a, a shot in the arm. Now it almost feels like it's the Wolves and the Bromans and no one else. Like, it's almost like WWE and TNA switch roles. When TNA's tag team division was at its highest, WWE's tag team division was at its lowest. Now, the the WWE tag team division is resurging slowly. Meanwhile, TNA's tag team division is non-existent. It's just a, a very, very weird cycle. And it's unfortunate because the Wolves are a solid team. But if you don't give them opponents that can make them excel and shine, you're just going to be stuck seeing them wrestling the bromans every week. And trust me, it's not that great. It's a good it's good matches, but they're not that that great. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about Mick Foley. Mick Foley was in the news this week for Mick Foley being Mick Foley, but Mick Foley was in the news this week because he he's been very vocal about the WWE, uh, excuse me, the WWE product as of late. And um it's funny because he he shared a very very interesting uh nugget of information on Facebook recently, and it was about his Legends deal. He said, as some of you may have heard at this point, I am opting to not sign my Legends marketing deal, as I have been very disappointed with the payoffs on the past two video games. For many years, being included in the WWE video game felt like being Charlie finding the golden ticket. But unfortunately, that just is not the case anymore. I have simply grown tired of being continuously, continually disappointed, and in the future, will do my best to avoid situations where further disappointment is the likely outcome. Now, the funny thing about this is that Mick Foley elaborated on this Legends deal. And he was saying that, you know, being paid for, for likeness and royalties for those games used to be something that every wrestling that every wrestler looked forward to and that he hasn't been getting paid enough because of the last two games. Uh, in particular, he felt that last year's game, which had the Attitude Era, should have fared better. Now, they were citing that as, you know, the company went under and, you know, that was a factor in w in WWE not paying out more money. So it's, it's a it's a unique situation, but I can understand because I'll be honest, for as good as the wrestling games have been, they're not setting the world on fire like they used to. I'm 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 serious. If you look at wrestling games in the past, you would see that they were selling ridiculous amounts and now it's kind of pretty stable now one of the reasons is and and correct me if i'm wrong um one of the reasons is that the that the games aren't really evolving as they as they used to like there used to be uh, tremendous improvements in create a wrestler uh tremendous improvements in in move set etc etc but what's happening is in my opinion wwe is starting to become like madden you get a new wwe game every year and every year, they're not really advancing it the way they should. So in Mick Foley's case, yeah, do I kind of feel that Mick Foley's being a little, you know, 
I'm not saying he's being a little greedy, but it's like, dude, you know, you, you got a Legends deal and they use your likeness for a, do for a dozen other things. Like, that's fine. But I just feel that wrestling games, much like sports games, can benefit from being released every other year. This gives you one year that you can use a bunch of roster updates and then improve the game substantially the following year. Like, let's take 2K14. I would continue releasing roster updates well into, into 2015 and then in 2016 release a next-gen WWE game. Like, I think that would work better. You buy the season pass and you just get roster updates. Like, maybe you do an NXT roster update and you can bring, you know, you can bring in Paige. You could bring in, you know, Alexander Rusev. You could bring in Adam Rose, Sami Zayn, etc. You know, you release roster updates. Let's say, let's say the game comes out in October 2014. You would release games until you know, the summer of 2015, and then you would stop, shut down the servers, whatever, and then you would start getting ready for the 2016 development cycle and give us, you know, a brand new next generation game with, with blood and sweat and, you know, muscle movement, you know, all that crazy stuff. I think doing it that way would allow people to just get a unique perspective on, on wrestling because it wouldn't be something that they're seeing every year. You know, you, you kind of just take a break like UFC with with their new EA Sports UFC. It's a brand new publisher. I can understand that they want to get a game out. But I'll be honest, if a UFC game came out every other year, then they'd be able to, you know, like allegedly EA wants to do UFC one year uh, fight night, you know, boxing the next, you know, they want to alternate, which I think is a, is a decent formula. But. I will say this, I do feel that the wrestling games have pretty much become, oh, what are we going to cram in there? You know, and this year with the Ultimate Warrior and the Legends, you know, it was very, very cool, but it just feels like something was missing. The The bulk of the guys in the chat, Slick says that it needs to go back to THQ style, you know, the Aki games. John, Jay, and Cranberry Kid all agree that they should bring back GM mode with Jay going as far as saying that they need to take notes from PC gaming. Me personally, like I said, roster updates and then start a brand new development cycle. I think it would be more effective than cranking out a game every year and then trying to find ways to force the game to be unique. Like obviously, like I said, this year being able to play as the Ultimate Warrior and doing all that and playing all the WrestleManias, that was great, but it just felt like something was lacking. Like I said, if you did roster updates with NXT and, you know, superstar changes, etc., like maybe maybe you could do, you know, release an evolution roster update where you get brand new evolution entrance video, you get brand new evolution attire for Batista, Orton and Triple H. Maybe you can do Corporate Kane as another roster, you know, you could do that. Like you can do the Authority Pack and that'll be a series of downloads. Maybe you can do um brand new shield attire and include the the masks that they've been wearing and the hoodie for ambrose you know little things like that then you could do the Rhodes brothers you can get the brand new theme music and you could do that uh you know just things of that nature i think that the 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 capabilities of the game can be expanded just by expanding on the roster like i said the whole gm mode that these guys were talking about maybe you could run nxt and run your superstar through nxt and then import them to the main roster do stuff like that i do i do feel that doing things like that would just extend the shelf life instead of making it seem super repetitive 
Jay says, I will be disappointed if 2K does not take advantage of the next-gen capability. <laughs> Cranberry Kid says, take Punk out of the game. You know what's funny? That the UFC game, and, I, and I'm going to share the trailer for it in the, in the gaming segment, I want you guys to see what next-gen has really become because the new UFC game, in terms of next-generation, when you look at it, you're like, holy shit. And if WWE takes those same cues, they're going to put out really, really solid games as well. But like I said, we don't need them to be consistent. Every other year is more effective in my book. Just saying. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, WWE's announcement that NXT will be getting a brand new live special airing on the WWE Network on May 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be called NXT TakeOver. So obviously with the success of NXT Arrival, I am not shocked that they're going to go with another NXT special. Um, NXT Arrival on WWE Network had 21 worldwide Twitter trends, according to the uh, email from WWE, and it was number three in overall social mentions. So definitely something to look forward to as NXT TakeOver gets their brand, well, NXT gets their brand new special, NXT TakeOver, on May 29th. So mark that down on your calendars. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was Stone Cold Steve Austin, besides him being in the news this week for his uh, conversation with Paul Heyman, uh, another big thing that got him in the news this week was his stance on marriage equality. Now, I've talked about my views on marriage equality on a couple of numerous occasions, and um, you know, I feel I feel that love who you love, marry who you want to marry, and abide by the rules of the state whether it's, you know, husband and husband, wife and wife, et cetera, et cetera. Those, those are my views. And like I say at the start of the show, they don't reflect the views of everybody else here. But it's interesting because Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, shared his views on marriage equality. And I can it's crazy that it went through USA Today, uh, the Huffington Post, People Magazine, MSNBC, countless wrestling websites. And I, I want to share with you guys this particular uh, nugget of information. He said, and I quote, um... He says that he feels that there's hypocrisy with regards to the religious stances against the issue. He said if two cats can't get married, but then a guy can go murder 14 people, molest five kids, then go to prison and accept God, and he's going to be led into heaven. After that fact, I feel that he that after he did all that shit, you're going to go into heaven because you got redeemed. That's all horse shit to me. That doesn't jive with me, which, which is interesting because it's it's. Here, here's the thing, and I'm I'm gonna get into into some real world stuff. Uh, husband and husband, wife and wife, you know, man and cat, woman and dog, whatever the case is. However, you choose to live your life. Listen, if you if you pay your taxes and you, and you're a good human being, your sexual preference should mean nothing. Again, these are my opinions. They don't reflect the opinions of the rest of my staff who are entitled to their own opinions. But I personally feel that you know. It, do what you got to do. And I'll be honest, when I was when I was growing up, my mom was a career foster parent, a career foster parent. My mom raised children pretty much right up until she died. And we raised all kinds of children, black children, white children, uh, developmentally disabled, extremely handicapped, uh, troubled youth. We had a couple of troubled teenagers once or twice that lived with me and, um, you know, they, they, they were, they were interesting people. Like my house had different kids often. And the funny thing about it is you learn a lot. Like I learned a lot growing up, just, just about raising kids. And I I can, I, I can tell you no bullshit that I can raise a kid with my eyes closed. 
Like, if I had a kid tomorrow, it would be an easy job for me. I kid you not. Like, a lot of guys that I know who've become first-time fathers, they go, dude, I don't know how the fuck you did it, you know, with handicapped kids, much less, you know, with normal kids. And it's, it's, it's an interesting situation, and it's something I can share at another time. But one of the funny things when my mom was taking care of foster children was that there was, there was a guy, uh, he, he passed away. His name was Lewis and Lewis, um, had a, a domestic partnership with, with another man. And, uh, the funny thing was he was raising three boys, three boys at the time. And it was, it was weird because people were saying, Oh, you know, uh, two men raising, ra- raising three boys. It's crazy. It's bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you the crazy thing. The crazy thing was that these kids were 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 loved more, cared for better, and um yes, yes he was. And um the the funny thing was that Lewis and and, and his partner, uh I believe his name was Steve. Lewis and Steve were uh they, like I said, they were raising three boys and on top of that, both of them had AIDS, which is crazy. Both both guys had AIDS and Lewis in particular was very sick. He raised three sons. When that guy died, my mom, you know, my mom, my mom was a hard, was a hard lady. She, she rarely cried. She was, you know, not super emotional. I never saw my mother cry so much in her life when that guy died. This guy, he raised kids like, 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 like regular parents. You know what I mean? He gave them the best stuff that got the, all three boys went to the best schools. They had all the coolest toys and shit. It, It was, it was insane. And it was funny because people used to be like, oh, you know, these kids being raised with two men is going to end terribly. And it was funny because he died and his mother and, and you know, Lewis's mother and his domestic partner had continued to raise the, the, the boys. And then his domestic partner passed away and his mom finished raising the boys. And it was it was crazy because these kids, like I said, extremely respectful, straight A students. And these kids came from from bad homes, man, from really, really bad homes. So at the end of the day. My my take on, on the matter is that you can be into whatever gender you want, but, you know, if you contribute to society in a positive way and, and you're not a, a piece of shit, and I'm not talking about, like, in terms of lifestyle, but just a, a piece of shit. Like, I've talked about this before, you know, like, like you could be a scumbag, but there's a difference between being a true scumbag or, you know you know, or, or, or a scumbag. That's, that's a closet scumbag. Like, like I always tell you guys, I, I am 100% an asshole. What you get on air is, is mostly me. It's mostly who I really am, but I, I, I live and breathe from, 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 from my sisters, you know, who I raise as my own children. You know, I've raised countless foster kids. I'm, I'm a big supporter of the foster care system. And honestly, I can tell you that it doesn't matter, dude, whether, whether it's two men, two women, who cares? Pay your taxes, you know, pay your taxes, do what you got to do. That, that's all I'm saying. You know, if, if two guys want to get married and they want to file taxes as, 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 as a married couple and, and do everything that normal people do, fuck it. Who cares? It's, you know, it's, it's their lives. You know what I'm saying? Like it, people get too hung up on that stuff. So I respect what Stone Cold Steve Austin did because, you know, it's funny. You look at Stone Cold and you see that Stone Cold Steve Austin is a redneck. You know, he comes from Texas. You would think that he's ultra conservative super Republican. And it was just crazy that the guy came out the way that he did. So to hear that, to hear that making mainstream press is just, it's crazy. It's crazy that you hear that and you're like, wow, you know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin came out and he said that. And, and it's funny because I went on, I went on Google plus and I went on Reddit and a couple of people were like, yeah, man, uh, you know, I lost respect for Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
I, he used to be my favorite wrestler, but he comes out in support of this stuff. And I'm, and, and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, why is this a factor? Why is this a factor? Like if, if, if here's a good one, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm a big fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And if he came out and he said, I support the Nazi party, I could be offended and be like, you know what, dude, I can't really respect that. I'm not a fan of that. But he just shared his views. So for you to take the man's personal views and associate them with a wrestling persona that you were a fan of just makes you a fucking dickhead. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I see all these people on, on, like I said, especially on Reddit and, you know, people that can hide behind Twitter. I can't support Stone Cold. This is bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. And and to quote what Jay just said, Stone Cold doesn't care if you're not a fan. These are the guy's personal beliefs. Same thing. I share my personal beliefs with you guys. I share my life experiences with you guys because it helps me connect with you guys better. You know, maybe maybe there, there's a couple of guys that, that listen and they're in the same boat I am, you know, dealing with the system and raising, you know, handicapped children or or dealing with whatever, you know, it's it, I, I like I like connecting with you guys more on the level of just individuals. Yeah, you know, we all love pro wrestling or MMA or gaming or entertainment, but connecting with the audience on this level is is different. And it's fine, you know, if you're listening to the show and you don't agree or you feel that, you know, the union should be between, you know, between husband and wife or whatever, I, I, listen, I respect that. You know, I, re I respect that and you're entitled to your opinion. And if you feel that you can't agree or continue to support because of that, hey, I'm totally cool with it. 100% cool. 100% cool. If you sent me an email tomorrow, you said, listen, man, you know, I heard your views on, on, you know, same sex marriage or race or whatever. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable with it or whatever. And, and that's fine. You know, I'm super cool with it. But to go on Twitter and write these long three page posts on Reddit about, you know, what Stone Cold said on his show and how you don't agree and how you feel it's a slap in the face to conservative Texans. Like this was what's up with this was what one guy said that it was a slap in the face to conservative Texans. Like like really? Like 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 that's what that's what you cared about. It is a slap in the face to conservative Texans. Like not not that you personally were offended. No, you felt that he offended an entire demographic of conservative people in one state. <laughs> That's the craziness. Like you like Stone Cold Steve Austin offended one entire demographic in one state. <laughs> it's it it boggles my mind, guys. It really does. Like, listen. If you don't agree with the views, that's great. But don't, what do you think? That by going on Twitter, I'm not going to be a fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin anymore. I'm going to throw away my shirts. You think he cares? Stone Cold Steve Austin took your money from his shirts 10 years ago. And he's chilling right now. Chilling. You don't think that you're supporting Stone Cold when you went and bought WWE 2K15? That he's in the game and he gets a cut of the money? You fucking idiots. Get out of here. Seriously, if you don't want to support something, just, just, hey. I don't want to support it. And that's it. <laughs> it really, it really is. It's no simpler than that. And it's funny. Um, you know, uh, Val says conservative Texans question marks like Texas, the state where everything's bigger. Jay says conservative Texans is just redundant. And Jay then adds, he lost Confederate flag holders and gains rainbow flag holders. That's, that's a, that's a, an interesting way of putting it, but it's true. It's like, oh, who cares? Seriously? Like, 
Like, if that's what's going to make you stop supporting an individual, then you weren't a fan to begin with. Because you're supposed to be a fan of the Texas Rattlesnake. You know, Austin 316 means I just whooped your ass. You know, drink beers, Stone Cold Stunners, and Middle Fingers. That's it. That's what you're a fan of. That's what you're supposed to enjoy. Just because the guy is too... And, you know, it's funny because I thought about it after I read that. And I just heard Danny DeMonto in my head talking about that wrestling fans are way too involved in wrestlers' lives way too involved like and jay even has been referencing in in his live blogs and stuff like you know on monday night raw he's like hey man you know i remember the days when you didn't know which wrestler was married to which diva when he was referencing you know uh one of the usos being married to naomi and and you know it's it's one of those things where people people don't know how to shut that off just because you get a a bird's eye view into somebody's life or you look in their fishbowl doesn't mean that everything that happens in that fishbowl is for you to critique or be involved in you know it's just it's just them those individuals sharing a portion of their life of their lives like you know what's crazy you know how many people like stephanie here's a good one stephanie mcmahon i follow her on instagram stephanie mcmahon has an instagram she shares a lot of cool pictures you know behind the scenes stuff no hate campaign and, you know, as as part of my job, you know, I, I try to be plugged in with wrestlers on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You know, you try and kind of keep an eye on things because you never know where news will happen. So she put up a picture and it was part of the no hate campaign that WWE did with Triple H. Now, she did. A, she put a picture up with her and her husband, you know, and it's really cool. The no hate campaign. So this guy, this guy goes, I don't understand how you're over here talking about no hate. When Triple H uses the Nazi Iron Cross on all his clothes and on all his 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 ring gear, I don't understand how he has all this Nazi imagery on all his merchandise. Yet all of a sudden he's here talking about no hate and all this stuff. And I'm just like, you're joking, right? Like you really dug that deep into Triple H's wardrobe to un to to find that there's Nazi imagery like the Iron Cross and all that, and you and and you're offended. I'm offended at the fact that, you know, this is a guy that supports all these ideals through his through his merchandise. And all of a sudden he's he's part of this no hate campaign. And I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Are you are you serious? But this is what I'm talking about. So it was funny because she shared that picture and, and there were people that were like, hey, man, you know, it's cool that WWE supporting that and they're becoming involved. And then you scroll down, you know, you scroll down like any other like any other social media site. And you just start seeing, you know, people like one guy, one guy was like, hey, man, you know, I I, want to I want to, you know, like, like, just like just saying he wants to do terrible things to Stephanie McMahon sexually. Like, I'm like, are you serious, dude? Like you're on Instagram and people see this like that's that's a little nuts, you know, but it's just it's just like I said, the 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 bird's eye view into the into the wrestling business from from a different angle and people get crazy. Yo, dude, this dude's like, yo, I want, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to skeet on you. Like, that's the kind of stuff that people are writing on Instagram with this no hate campaign that Stephanie McMahon shared. It's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Jay says evolution is part of Hydra. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. Like, like how, like this guy, like legitimately said that, you know, Triple H is a Nazi and that he can't endorse the fact or he can't uh, he can't accept the fact that triple h is a closet nazi yet is part of the no hate campaign like like i honestly can tell you that i was speechless when i read that like i read it and i'm like this can't be legit like this guy's gotta be trolling but 
He he was, and I think other people were commenting back and forth. It was ridiculous. Now, if you want, look up Stephanie McMahon on Instagram, and you should be able to find the no hate picture. Who knows if the stuff was deleted or not because it can be considered hate speech, but it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like I was, I was, I was tripped out by seeing that. But again, you know, kudos to the company for, for that. And again, you know, the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing, it was, it was cool to see wrestling in the mainstream, not courtesy of Nancy Grace and in the, and in a positive light. <laughs> Triple H stands for hail. Holy Hitler. Holy cow. Jay. Yes. Slow clap, sir. Slow clap. <laughs> I can't. Oh my God. You know, it's ah, people, people kill me. They, they kill me. But anyway, that is going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Uh, let's get into some gaming news. We got a lot to discuss and, um, we're making some pretty good time. So, uh, let's keep that ball rolling. Shall we? Ah, man, let's see. Where's my rest. Where's my video. Ah, here we go. Let's talk games. So for those of you that are curious, this uh, this week's T-shirt is actually not from a sponsor. I am a huge Godzilla mark. And this, ladies and gents, is a giant glow-in-the-dark Godzilla head. <laughs> this is a Godzilla head. It's, it's, it's very big and very obnoxious, and I had to buy the shit. <laughs> so it's funny because I, I went out and... Um, <laughs> Jay, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Um anyway, so this shirt it glows in the dark. Giant fucking kaiju head. Anyway, and the funny thing is, I'm I'm a I'm a huge kaiju Godzilla fan. I love the stuff. Gamera, Godzilla, all that shit. Um I I own so much of it whether it's on DVD, on Blu-ray. I got tons of it. So I go I buy this shirt and it was funny because they had some other Godzilla shirts. And as you can see, I'm not the smallest person in the world. And uh, <laughs> I go and I buy this. I buy, I pick up another shirt and it was the poster for the new Godzilla movie. And it, it looked pretty cool. And all I heard was slick in my head saying, why is Godzilla's head so fucking small? So I'm looking at this shirt and I'm like, fuck, his head looks really fucking little on this shirt. It's this big ass body and this little ass dome. And I'm looking at it and I'm laughing because I hear slick in my head. I kid you not saying, yo, why is his head so small? So as I'm looking at the shirt, the guy in the store says to me, he's like, oh, hey, I got some new Godzilla shirts and hold on. So he brings out this shirt. He goes, yo, man, it glows in the dark. So I bought that shirt and some other cool shirts. (laughs) I come home and my wife goes, she goes, oh, man, you know. Are, are, are those shirts for the show or is just, just clothes? And I'm like, ah, they're regular clothes, but this one is for the show. And she, and I pull it out and she goes, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> she goes, you cannot wear that out with me in public. I'm like, why? It's, it's a giant Godzilla head. It is giant 1987, 19 Godzilla, 1985 head on a t-shirt. And it glows in the dark with the Japanese rising sun behind it. It is super douche-tacular. But you know what? I will wear this with pride versus some of the other douchey shit I see. Like, I'm a nerd. What do you want from me, guys? But I, I had to share it with you guys because the funny thing is that 
they were talking about the success of this brand new Godzilla movie, and they were saying that we were going to see a brand new Godzilla game. Now, it's funny because I the last good Godzilla game I played was a Godzilla game on the Dreamcast, which was really, really good. The only problem is there's two Godzilla games on the, on the Dreamcast. There's one that was really shitty, but then there was one that was in Japanese. I have the Japanese version of the game, and it's cool because it, it almost plays like King of Monsters. You wander through the city and you fight, you know, whether it's King Ghidorah, Mothra, whatever. It's, um, you know, you wander through the city, and before you know it, you you come upon uh, that particular monster, you fight, and then you go on to the next stage. But it was cool because it was one of the few games where I was like, wow, that's not, that's not a totally shitty concept. Now, looking at this new Godzilla game, or well, looking at this new Godzilla movie, I wanted to kind of talk about um, the how a Godzilla game should work. Now, it's very easy to say, oh, well, you could do it like Rampage and you're just going through the city and you're fighting monsters and clearing stages. But I'm curious as to what else you can add to that to to a Godzilla game, because thinking about it from that standpoint, there's not really much. It's like arise, raise hell and leave. It's like it's like Godzilla Stone Cold Steve Austin of the Kaiju universe. Arrive, burn Tokyo to the ground and leave. Maybe do a flying dropkick or, you know, a, a Godzilla uppercut or whatever other stupid shit they used to make him do and leave. So thinking about it and looking at all these different things, I said to myself, you know what? A Godzilla game, you kind of want to make it open world, but you want to make it that you're going through different areas and, you know, liberating different cities and you get different points if you don't if you don't destroy shit and... um could play like King Kong where you switch from person to monster. See, Cranberry Kid, that's a that's a cool idea. Like, like you can switch to the military trying to stop Godzilla, or you can play parts of the game as Godzilla, or maybe you can switch to parts of the military where you're trying to stop other monsters. Like, I thought you could play part of the game as Godzilla, and then maybe play part of the game as, as uh, Mecha Godzilla, you know, as Kiryu. I think if you get to play as Mecha Godzilla and you try and stop certain monster threats, it would it would add a different dynamic to the game. I just think that when you're trying to do a Godzilla game, it's it's very difficult to make it like this all-encompassing, just really really awesome game because what happens is there's there's very very little you have to work with. It's like I said, arrive, fuck shit up, and leave. So. I figured I'd, I'd share my, my Godzilla t-shirt story with you guys. Plus, talk a little bit about a game because I always feel that Godzilla games, much like, it's like the Hulk. When they did the Hulk Ultimate Destruction, I felt that the Hulk Ultimate Destruction was probably the best Hulk game ever. You know, you break shit, you fuck shit up, and you go about your business. Period. Like, I liked it. It was so simplistic. It was so to the point, And that was it. Same thing. Like, Godzilla games, it's you can't do much. Like, it's, it's very, very difficult. It's funny because when Pacific Rim came out, they did the Pacific, Ring, the Pacific Rim game on Xbox Live. So I was like, oh, man, you know, it's going to look badass, blah, 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 fighting as the Jaegers and fighting Kaiju and shit. And then I played it, and I'm like, wow, this is fucking shitty. Here I'm thinking you're going to get Street Fighter with Kaijus and Jaegers, and it was, it was just so, so poorly executed. And that's what I'm saying, like, like, honestly, you might as well just do a Godzilla game like Street Fighter where you could pick, you know, Godzilla, Mothra, uh, Space Godzilla, Biollante, whatever, 
and then you just fight through six stages. You fight one super monster, maybe Monster X from uh, Godzilla Final Wars, and call it a day. Like that's re- like that's really it. Like you're at a point with with that game where it's like, yo, I'm just gonna make a fighting game and go about my business because there's there's really not much. So like I said, new Godzilla movie, possible new Godzilla game remains to be seen. So. I wanted to talk about the um, announcement that I shared on the site earlier today about um, Hoist Gracie being the next playable character in EA Sports UFC game. Now, the cool thing about this is that obviously Hoist Gracie is, you know, the father of mixed martial arts and it's a no brainer. Well, I wouldn't even say the father. He is a pioneer in mixed martial arts. He is he is a guy that when you talk about the UFC, he is synonymous with the sport. He is a guy that comes up like this because his involvement goes all the way back to the very, very early goings of the UFC. Now, it's funny because another unlockable character for the UFC was uh, the late Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is considered one of the first and the original mixed martial artist. Of course, uh, his philosophy, uh, the style of Jeet Kune Do, uh, the, was a mixture of different styles, including Western boxing, uh, Kung Fu. So I kind of understand where Bruce Lee's involvement is key, but I was thinking about it and I said, you know, it'd be cool if you're putting Bruce Lee in the game. Maybe you could have Chuck Norris in the game just to, to, to add a little bit of contrast and make it very, very interesting. So I wanted to share the new trailer for the UFC game, which not only shows the gameplay, but also so, but also shows Bruce Lee in action. Now, the reason I'm showing this to you guys is twofold. Number one, obviously the graphics are insane, but I wanted Jay to take a look at this because this is where the direction WWE needs to go with regards to next generation and future wrestling games. Let me pull this up because it is ridiculous, guys. Check this out. It's going to blow your minds. Look at this. I got chills, man. I can't believe this is really going to happen. It is going to happen. Get ready, world. This place is on its feet. Right when we thought it couldn't get any better. Here we go. Just punishing him. Trying to finish this fight. This could be it. And he gets rocked again. Off the cage. Woo! Tell me that is not insane, guys. It is It is ridiculous. The graphics are disgusting. I was like, holy shit, that's, that, that just, the, everything about the game. And yes, I'd love to see an Anderson Silva leg break. <laughs> and it was definitely not too soon, Val. Definitely not too soon. 
Um, you know, the use of Bruce Lee in it is is tremendous. Uh, Hoist Gracie. Uh, but And it's funny, Val, I'm glad you said that. The UFC games, one of the biggest things has been the control scheme. The control scheme is something that can make or break these games. EA Sports MMA, I like the control scheme, but I felt that the, the last UFC game, the control scheme was good up until you had to execute submissions. Executing submissions in the UFC in the new UFC game was a war of attrition. Now, the previous UFC game, the submission uh, mechanics were were good, but they were also easily abused. So it's going to be very difficult to get a balanced control system where the, the submission system is not too over the top. You want to keep it competitive, but not really beat it down. Now, the like I said, the use of Bruce Lee is cool, but I'd like to see maybe, maybe you put Chuck Norris in there. You could reenact uh, Game of Death inside the octagon with Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. I mean, if you're going to put um, Bruce Lee in there, it would be nice to see that. I'm not saying that you have to throw tons of, of martial arts icons into the game, but, you know, you have Bruce Lee, you had Chuck Norris. That was it. You know, it was it, that that was it. Whenever you talked about uh, martial arts growing up, especially if you were a Bruce Lee fan, it was always Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Now, it, uh, you know, you, you, you got to obviously play, pay likeness rights, but I don't think Chuck Norris would mind being being he wouldn't mind being seen alongside some of MMA's elite. And of course, alongside the legendary Bruce Lee, I think. It's it's very cool. Now, with regards to the pre-orders, um, you can unlock Bruce Lee by d- beating career mode. Same thing with Hoist Gracie. Um, of course, if you want to eliminate the necessity to do that, you pre- can pre-order the game from GameStop if you choose to do so. So it's up to you. It's not mandatory that you pre-order the game to get Bruce Lee. You can actually get him if you go through the career mode. But, you know, the pre-order bonus is pretty nice as well. So there you have it. Bruce Lee in the UFC game, and Hoist Gracie, of course, back in the game as well. So last week, Slick and I were discussing Amazing Spider-Man 2 and it, you know, it appearing on PlayStation 4 and not appearing on Xbox One. So it looks like Activision is going to try and get the game out on Xbox One. There's no particular reason why they've said that it's not going to come out on Xbox One. According to the statement that Activision released on Eurogamer, they are working with Microsoft to get the game out on Xbox One. If you've seen trailers for Amazing Spider-Man 2, you know that the game looks phenomenal. Slick has shared some trailers. I wanted to see if I could pull one up for you guys to see it because it was, it was, you know, it definitely looks good. And, you know, the effects and, and the graphics look fantastic. Now, the thing that gets me is if it's coming out on the PS4, where is it going wrong on, um, you know, where's it going wrong on, on, you know, on next gen consoles. Like I understand not being able to, to get it out because of graphic limitations or whatever, but I do kind of feel that it, you know, it's one of those things where there's more to it than just next generation hardware on PS4 can support it more than Xbox one. There's probably more to it, but it looks like a court, like I said, the statement that Activision put out to Eurogamer that we will still see the game on next gen consoles. I mean, it's definitely not coming out Tuesday slick. I agree. And, um, you know, it's weird that it's just this, all of a sudden this mysterious reasoning as to why the game isn't going to be hitting Xbox one. But like I said, Activision in a statement said that it will happen. So we'll see, but it's definitely not happening 
on Tuesday. But I know that Slick will be picking it up, so be on the lookout for his review once the game is released. Now, of course, you can still pick up the game on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Wii U, and 3DS on May 2nd. So, you know, that's that that's you know those are the options you have now. Uh, me personally, I'm definitely gonna play the game at some point, whether I play it on current gen or next gen remains to be seen. But it definitely looks extremely promising. Like I said, Slick has shared some trailers for it, and it does look very very awesome. Fans of the Walking Dead game, if you have a PlayStation Vita, you'll be able to pick up the second season of Telltale's Walking Dead game available on April 23rd. So if you have a PlayStation Vita and you want to continue Clementine's adventures, you'll be able to pick up the Walking Dead second season on the PlayStation Vita. The first two episodes will be available right away at $4.99, or if you pick up the season pass that's on other systems, you'll be able to access it as well. The season was originally scheduled to hit the Vita in March, but was delayed. So there you have it. If you have a PlayStation Vita, which I'm curious, I'm curious if anybody out there has one, uh, you'll be able to pick up the second season of The Walking Dead. Uh, one thing, you know, one thing that gets me with this is, um, you know, The Walking Dead games. I like what Telltale is doing, and it's cool that it's being made accessible to other platforms besides uh, home consoles, because I think that's a game that you can actually enjoy on a mobile console because it allows you to to really get entrenched in the story and not have to invest in sitting in front of your TV like you could play a campaign for a little bit and then you know pause it and resume it later on not to say that you can't do the same when you're at home but I just feel that it's a game that travels well Jay actually had a PlayStation Vita and got rid of it I'm curious, Jay, why'd you get rid of it? Uh, you know, I, I, I want to know just because so many people I know have a 3DS. It's not often I hear that people had a Vita and the and the reasoning why they got rid of it. So definitely share it in the chat. I want to share it with our listeners um, <clears throat> on some other PS4 news. It looks like we will be seeing Resident Evil 7 at E3 this year, um, according to the Sankei Shimbum, courtesy of the, our friends at Dual Shockers. It looks like Capcom is scheduled to reveal Resident Evil 7 at E3. As of right now, they were saying that it was going to be an Xbox One exclusive, but now it's looking like it's going to be multi-platform. Again, I mean, Resident Evil has been very, very successful. I mean, it's, you know, right now they're looking at it to sell 5 million copies, much like Resident Evil 6 did, but... At this point, I kind of feel Resident Evil has run its course. So unless you do something, you know, monumental, it's going to be pretty run-of-the-mill. Strider drops an incredible nugget saying that the bullets will be DLC. Bravo, good sir. Bravo. Also, uh, happy belated birthday to Strider, who's been a longtime listener of the show as well. Uh, <laughs> DLC bullets. It's like you start the game and it goes, if you would like to buy an extra mag, you have to purchase the season pass. <laughs> it's it's crazy it's crazy but you know what the the thing is like with resident evil and I, i'm curious if you guys agree do you guys feel that resident evil just took a complete departure from zombie apocalypse and just went into regular generic mutant killing uh adventures because the the whole the whole allure of resident evil was all the zombie stuff but then they started getting super crazy with you know the 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 giant dudes with all this shit and, and the hatchets and the 
and the weird African dudes that may have been zombies or may not have been zombies. I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, the last Resident Evil game I think I played was four. I tried to get into five and then I kind of got into six, but it just, it just didn't have the same appeal to me. Jay says that Resident Evil got the writers from TNA. <laughs> Fuck. It's, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, the Plaga's virus. Yeah, it was, it was weird, man. Like, I just, I just couldn't get into it. Like, I'm used to, you know, Raccoon City, uh, Leon Kennedy, you know, Jill Valentine shooting zombies in the head, dogs jumping through windows, you running for your life, trying not to get killed by Nemesis. Like, I kind of felt that when we got to Resident Evil Nemesis, it started getting really, really fucking crazy. Because that's when, obviously, it was becoming more mutants and zombies, and, and that's fine. But I just feel that the necessity to rely on that kind of watered down the Resident Evil series for me. And it didn't feel as scary or as as creepy as it used to. I don't know if you guys agree or not, but, you know, you we're on the seventh installment of the game. And I'm just not I'm not excited to play it like in the old days. Oh, new Resident Evil. And you were ready. You had your money ready to, to rock and roll. And now it's like, eh, whatever. It's the seventh game. You know, it, it'll be a rental like that. That's how I see it. So I don't know why they're releasing this considering that the movie's been out forever, but it looks like there's going to be a new video game based on Kick-Ass 2. Now you're probably asking yourself, didn't Kick-Ass 2 come out like last year? Looks like they are going to be releasing a PC and console version utilizing the traditional beat-em-up style. So, um, you know, obviously it's late considering that the movie, um, you know, the the movie's already on DVD and Blu-ray since last December, so... To release a game based on Kick-Ass 2, it better be, it better be tremendous. Otherwise, you know, it's probably just going to be some DLC beat-em-up game that'll be, uh, you know, uh, something to pass the time when you're bored. So I want to share the comments from our listeners and our and our viewers about Resident Evil. Strider says, "I was creeped out in Resident Evil 3 when Nemesis kept charging. Um, I screamed like Brock Lesnar." <laughs> <laughs> Jay says I'm barely hanging on to Metal Gear and look what happened to that shit. Wow. Poor Metal Gear. I actually liked uh Metal Gear Revengeance. I thought Metal Gear Revengeance was was a was a pretty cool game. I almost looked at it like it even it wasn't even a Metal Gear game. Like I'm like, "Oh, Revengeance is just playing as 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 Raiden, which is pretty cool." So, you know, I under I understand where people where people are coming from. Strider says everyone's going to pick Hit Girl. Absolutely. In the Kick-Ass game, it's going to be Hit Girl all day. It's like playing Streets of Rage and Kick-Ass is that kid with the skates in Streets of Rage 2. Everybody picked him because he was fast, but he sucked. He sucked. The The skate in Streets of Rage 2 was such bullshit. It was, it was usually Axel all day. Definitely Axel all day. Um, anyway, so as I was saying, the Kick-Ass game hitting consoles and PC. Why? I don't know. Anyway, switching gears, I want to talk about, and I'm sure John Blade will appreciate this, a brand new Ultimate Ninja Stores, uh, Ultimate Ninja Stores, Ultimate Ninja Storm uh, Naruto. It's going to be Ultimate Ninja Storm Revolution, which is coming to North America, Europe, and Australia in September. So, uh, yeah, get your get your pockets ready for that. You're going to get that in two special edition. You're going to get the Day One Rivals edition, which is going to include exclusive costumes for Naruto, 
and for Sasuke, and you're also going to get the Samurai Edition, which is going to come with a brand new Naruto Samurai statue, a metal case, and exclusive costumes from the Rivals Edition. I'm sure you're going to be ready to uh, pour out your wallet for that because it certainly will not be cheap. So there you have it. If you're a fan of the Naruto games, you'll be getting Ultimate Ninja Storm Revolution, which is the fifth installment uh, in September. Get your get your get your wallets ready, ladies and gents. All right. So last bit of gaming news I wanted to talk about this evening was, like I said, I picked up an Xbox one for four forty nine with um, Titanfall and I got a couple of other things with it. A pretty solid deal. Fifty bucks more than the PlayStation four, which was a negligible difference. And I wanted to talk about a deal that's happening with Best Buy. Now, I want to share this with you guys. I saw it on a couple of sites before I went live. Here's how it's going to go down. So what Best Buy is going to do is if you trade in your Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 between April 27th and May 3rd, you're going to get a $50 gift card and a $50 coupon that you'll be able to use to buy an Xbox One. So you're going to get $100 off the console. So not all the stores are going to be participating in the program, but if you trade in any of your any system, you'll be able to get $100 off. So if it's already let's say it's already 449, you'll be able to pick it up for 349. Again, not a not a great not a great deal if you want to keep your next gen consoles, but if you're one of those I mean your current generation consoles, if you're not if you're not you know tied to your PlayStation 3 or your Xbox 360, it's a solid deal because you're getting $100 off a brand new console. But if you're like me or Slick or some of the other guys and you want to keep all your consoles, you know, it's it's not that good of a deal. Like I said, for for 50 bucks, um, you know, for 50 bucks for the $50 price difference that I got it for, I felt I, I fared pretty well. Uh, the whole $100 thing, again, Think of that what you will. Cranberry Kid, if I traded in my Xbox and PS3, do I get $200? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. As of right now, according to what they're saying, not all the stores are going to be participating in the program, so you're going to want to check out Best Buy's trade-in webpage to find the store. That way you can get rid of the old console. Uh, Slick just told me that the 449 deal is over. Wow. So the, it held out pretty long. How long how long was I talking about that 449 deal? I mean, I talked about it last week, but I think I mentioned it to to you slick a couple of times in passing. So, what it what it looked like a month? Maybe maybe a month and a half that they had it for 449. So, this is the brand new deal. Again, if you are looking to part with your 360 or PlayStation 3, then you'll be able to, you know, trade it in and get an Xbox One if you want. I'm curious why the Xbox One and not the PlayStation 4 as well. Because I think if you want to make the jump to next gen and they're asking you to trade in either system, the the value, the $100 that you get should be applicable to either system. I find that to be a little strange. Like I said, I got these I got this bit of news right before we went live, so the details may be a little specific. Now Slick is saying that this is because people are buying PlayStation 4s. This is true, but regardless of whether they're buying them or not, the deal should be applicable to either console, don't you think? Like that's 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 just how I feel about it. 
Cranberry Kid says that they're still backed up with Xbox Ones from Black Friday. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Jesus. You know what's funny with that? The um, the Xbox One I bought was the, the Titanfall bundle. But it's weird because even, even taking what Cranberry Kid said... During during Black Friday, I was still able to walk into some stores and see Xbox One consoles. Definitely no PS4s, but I did see some Xbox One, so there 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 probably is some weight and some merit to his argument. But again, if you've been on the fence and you may want to pick up an Xbox One, see what Best Buy has to offer, and who knows, maybe you can get that hundred dollars off, and it's three fifty. You know what's crazy? I saw a deal. And Slick, if you can investigate this for me, I'd really appreciate it. They said that certain Sears stores were selling the Nintendo. Uh, there was a Nintendo. I think it was a Nintendo City bundle for $99. There was a couple of Sears stores selling a Nintendo Wii U bundle for 100 bucks. You know? So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious if, if that deal is applicable or not. I know I know Slick can can find that for me relatively quick, but I saw on on an RSS feed that Sears was selling a Nintendo Land Wii U bundle for $100. And I was like, "Really? That that's that can't be right." But sure as shit, that's what it was. I'm trying to see if I could find it because it was I I couldn't believe that I saw that. So, if you're in the market for a Wii U and you want to pick it up, um <laughs> you want to pick it up for for a hundred bucks, you'll be able to bag it in Sears. Let me see if I can find that Sears uh, $99. Let's see if I'm right. Ah, yes, it is. Sears is selling Nintendo land bundles for 99 bucks. So according to what I, what I found out, it was discovered by somebody on Reddit that they are marking down their 32 gig Wii U bundles it rings up at regular price, but a $199 discount applied to the price brings it down to $99. It's only valid for the Nintendo Land 32 gig bundle. Holy shit. Yep, Wii U Daily. Thank you, Slick. So there you have it. If you want to pick up a Wii U for $100, your obviously your results may vary, but I may I may jump on that because I think there's a Sears on the way to work. And a Wii U for a hundred bucks, and it's a thirty-two gig system. Shit! In the in the in the in the words of the wire, shit. I'm not gonna pass that up. It's crazy. Hundred dollars? Shit! If Nintendo said, "Hey, we're gonna make the Wii U a hundred dollars for a week, just to just to kind of get some buzz," people would go bananas. People would go bananas. Like the Wii U would get so much traction. <laughs> Thank you, Strider. Thank you. But it's true. For a hundred bucks, it's pretty solid. So again, if you got a, a local Sears in your area, uh, Slick shared the link to WiiUDaily.com, which also has the person's proof of purchase on the site, so they're not lying. Do yourselves a favor, see if you can bag a Wii U for a hundred dollars. If so, uh, definitely let me know on our Facebook fan page, um, or let me know on you know let me know via social media. So. $399, 200 Huh. You're right there. But I think it's 199 not 99 The math is wrong. To where purchase. So the article is correct. Hold on a minute. You know, it's funny. There's a, let me see. There's another article that, that, that has the correct. 
That's interesting. Yeah, Val, you're right. Val brought up a very interesting point with that receipt, which seems a little funky. Is there uh let me see. Well, you know what's funny? GameSpot.com has it as well for $100. According to this, uh, GameSpot's forum says uh, this might be an error. Oh, they're saying that the $99 price is an error. Holy shit. I don't know. Something something seems amiss. You know what? If if you got a Sears in your area, see if it works, man. Because even even still, even at two hundred dollars, it's 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 a solid deal at two hundred bucks. You know, the Wii, Slick just said his Wii U was three hundred and fifty dollars. So even at two hundred dollars, that shit is a steal. Definitely, I, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and investigate it this weekend and see what the story is. But if any of you guys come across it and you're able to bag it either for a hundred or two hundred bucks. Definitely let me know. I want to hear your results and share it with you guys on air. All right. So minus that little bit of information, we are done with this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news, shall we? Because we got some serious, serious stuff to discuss, including some what the fuck movie news this week. Let's get to it. That kind of bombed. All right, let's try this. Clearly, the message board is not working. That was the remix version. Let's try it again. Strider says, turn down for what? <laughs> Fuck that song. (laughs) Well played, gentlemen. Well played. Anyway, let's get into this week's entertainment news. So this next bit of entertainment news is with a huge grain of salt, huge grain of salt, but it's been making the round so much that I had to share it with you guys. According to a Bulgarian news source, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a news source from Alexander Rusev's house. Anyway, It says that Hulk Hogan will be joining the Expendables in Expendables 4. First of all, Hulk Hogan can barely move. Second of all, really? (laughs) Hulk Hogan in the Expendables 4 is a recipe for disaster. The guy's going to break his hip, hurt himself. I mean, I'd, I'd I'd rather see Jackie Chan in there than Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan to me is, you know... Like, that's that's really it. The, Hogan, to me, in The Expendables is just a recipe for disaster. Slick says Hulk Hogan can move more than Arnold and his bad heart. <laughs> Granberry Kid, half the cast can barely move. This is true also. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? Hulk Hogan just coming out, you know what, dude? I say my prayers and take my vitamins and I have an AK-47. He just starts shooting people randomly. It would just it would just be so insane. And you know what would be better? If he came out dressed in the gear from Suburban Commando. Hogan just out there. Everybody's dressed in their, in their fatigues and their camo. And Hogan just comes in with a Suburban Commando uniform. And everybody's looking at him like, dude, that's not tactical. You know what, dude? This is tactical gear, dude. Tactical gear, brother. Hulk, it's... It's really not. You're going to get shot. The power of the Hulkamaniacs, brother, will protect me. Okay. And then you have Hogan get shot with like a 12 gauge in the first three minutes of the movie. 
but he has to be in the suburban commando gear. Has to be. <laughs> John John Blade says Hogan has to ride in a Humvee blasting real American. Yes. <laughs> we need that. Yes, absolutely. I think I think that that in and of itself would make it worthwhile to watch Hogan in Expendables 4. But there you have it. So in some other entertainment news, which border on wrestling news, it looks like The Rock is interested in playing a villain alongside uh, 007. Now, the funny thing about this is, and I didn't know this, it seems that The Rock's grandfather, Peter Maivia, was a bad guy in a Sean Connery uh, James Bond film, which is You Only Live Twice. He actually played the driver that got into the fight with Sean Connery in that film. It was funny because I didn't know that. I actually watched You Only Live Twice on cable uh, the day before yesterday. I think they were giving it on Turner Movie Classics. And it was crazy because I saw him like, holy shit, it is High Chief Peter Maivia. So The Rock was saying that he'd like to, you know, follow in his grandfather in his grandfather's footsteps and be a villain in a 007 film. He said, I'd love to be a, a Bond villain. I'm a huge fan of Daniel Craig and the Bond movies, but it seems only right to follow my grandfather's footsteps as a Bond bad guy. So with that said, would you guys be open to The Rock being a bad guy in a 007 film? I think it would be pretty cool. Um... You know, it'd be funny to Cranberry Kid says, so they make him a driver that that would be hilarious. Just he gets in and the rock is driving and he gets he gets into a fight with 007. It would be it would be a nice, you know, subtle nod to, you know, his grandfather and that scene from You Only Live Twice. I I like I said, I had to rewatch that and it worked out that it was on cable. And I was like, holy shit, it really is. Um, You know, it really is. High Chief Peter Maivia. John Blade says maybe it works if he drops about 50 pounds of muscle. He'd be too awkwardly huge. You know what the thing is? I don't think that The Rock should be the main bad guy, but if he was like the muscle for like a a, a different bad guy, it would work. <laughs> Only if they put Craig in a wicker chair and Rock beats him to the beat of stomp him in the nuts. <laughs> way, way to borrow a little bit of Casino Royale there, Slick. Well played. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think it would be bad. I mean, it's cool that The Rock would do it. Who knows? He, he'd probably be like, yo, I'd do the movie for free. Because seriously, The Rock is swimming in so much money right now that that would just be like a small feather in his cap. Just saying. Uh, quick time check. Just want to let you guys know it is uh, 10 to 2. Uh, Blog Talk Radio's feed goes off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can continue listening and watching the show at mtrlive.com gfqlive.tv or via Mixler as well. Just a quick reminder. Switching gears, I got to talk a little bit about the box office totals for this week. I really did think that Captain America and the Winter Soldier would be dethroned, but that was not the case. Captain America remained number one at the box office, earning $26.6 million. Coming in at number two was Rio 2. Heaven is for Real was number three. Transcendence was number four. You can check out the review of Transcendence on MyTakeRadio.com, courtesy of The Rightist. Uh, the Haunted uh, Haunted House 2 was number 5, Draft Day was number 6, Divergent was 7, Oculus, which is complete rubbish, you can read my review as to why, was number 8, Noah was number 9, and God's Not Dead is number 10. So there you have it. I have a feeling that Captain America is going to hold on until May 2nd when Spider-Man hits theaters, then it will be a battle between the Captain and Spider-Man for the number 1 slot. 
Speaking of Marvel movies, it looks like Amazing Spider-Man's international numbers are off to a record-breaking start as it has already grossed $47 million internationally, making it the biggest international opening of the year. $2.3 million out of that amount comes from 50 IMAX screens. Of course, the Easter holiday in some countries did help with the opening, but uh, $15 million of the opening weekend came from the UK and Ireland. The movie grossed $11 million in Mexico. Then it took another $6 million in Germany and another $5 million in Australia. So again, it's brought its total to $47 million and it has not even been released domestically. But I will say this. I've seen a couple of early reviews of Amazing Spider-Man 2 floating around and it pains me to say that they don't look positive. Now, me personally, you know, reviews are always hit and miss with me, touch and go. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give the film the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to go check it out. I wasn't a huge fan of the first Spider-Man film, but it did show tremendous promise and I did enjoy certain aspects of it. So again, I didn't hate it. You know, it's not it's not like, uh, you know, like Spider-Man three, in my opinion, but definitely Amazing Spider-Man holds its own in terms of being a solid Spider-Man film. We'll see if Spider-Man two can continue that momentum and maybe give us something, you know, something cool and unique. We'll see what happens. May 2nd is around the corner. And of course, be on the lookout for reviews from, you know, MyTakeRadio.com, including myself, Slick, uh, and the rightist as well. All of us are going to go see it. Slick is going to hit us with a one-two punch, though, because he's going to see the movie and review the game as well. All right, so last week and the week prior, I was talking about the remake that they want to do of The Raid. Uh, the director, Patrick Hughes, is looking to uh, do The Raid and use a combination of different martial arts disciplines and a very unique uh, cast to bring the film together. Now, if you've seen The Raid, you know that The Raid is heavy on action and incredible fight choreography, and the U.S. remake, I hope, continues that trend. What Patrick Hughes is saying in an interview with IGN was, it's a phenomenal action film, but unfortunately, not enough people went and saw it. So what we're doing with this remake is it's giving the film a broader landscape. With regards to the fighting styles, he said, because it's an American take in terms of martial arts, you're going to be seeing a clash of cultures as well as a clash of fighting styles. So with that said, I'm sure you're going to see, you know, Muay Thai, you're going to see some MMA, you're going to see various disciplines, and I'm sure you're going to get two leading actors that will get people into theaters. Now, originally they were saying that they were going to use um, the Hemsworth brothers, uh, Liam and Chris Hemsworth, for the Raid remake. I don't know how that's going to work. I do feel that while Chris Hemsworth is a solid leading man, I feel that in terms of fight choreography, I don't I don't know if he'll be able to hold his own in doing the same type of of close corner combat that really worked close quarter combat, excuse me, that worked in the Raid film. Now, I could be wrong and again, that casting was a rumor at the time. So, we'll see how it develops as for, you know, what they can do with the raid. There's so much you can do. There's so many great martial artists that you can utilize that if you do bring the re, uh, you know, you bring the remake to the US, I think it would do well, but you have to keep that consistent, very close quarter, tightly filmed fight choreography. Otherwise, people are going to see right through it and it's going to be a piss poor remake. Uh, to emulate what John Blade said, the raid is legit as fuck. As for who I'd like to see, John Blade says Michael Jai White. I definitely would like to see Michael Jai White and um, uh, maybe maybe his uh, his co-star from uh, Scott Adkins from um, Undisputed. I think Adkins and Michael Jai White would be tremendous 
in that role. The only problems are with that, that you're not using guys that are easily recognizable. While I do like Michael Jai White and he's a big friend of the show, I do feel that if they're going to do this, they're going to want to use guys that are super, you know, super mainstream. The problem is that they could just as easily cast some asshole like Kellen Lutz and make the movie completely suck. So I'm praying, praying, praying that, you know, we get some good casting and some great fight choreography. It's funny because John Blade goes, go in, fuck shit up, and leave. It's true. If you've seen The Raid, The Raid is the measuring stick, in my opinion, of action films. And The Raid 2 does not disappoint. So if you get the opportunity, definitely go see The Raid 2. And if you haven't seen The Raid, go to the My Take Radio Amazon store on MyTakeRadio.com and you can pick it up for usually around five bucks or so. It is ridiculous. Cranberry Kid says Michael Sarah. Imagine Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill in the raid. Just fat ass Jonah Hill trying to fuck shit up alongside Michael Sarah. <laughs> the the sheer the sheer visual of that just brings a terrible, terrible smile to my face. But again, the more we learn about the raid remake, the more I will share with you guys. Now, what the fuck movie news? Oh boy. So you know that they're doing a remake of the turtles. We're going to talk about the gem remake. Get this a movie about peeps, you know, peeps, the, the Easter candy, the marshmallow Easter candy. That's in millions of colors. Yeah. That they're doing a movie about peeps. I kid you not. Um, so here, here's, here's what they're going to do. According to Adam Rifkin, who optioned the film and TV rights to peeps, it looks like they're going to do a full-length animated film similar to the Lego movie. It will be set the night before a Peeps diorama contest. And, of course, one of the mo- one of the Peeps gets misplaced and has to travel through various themed dioramas to get back on his own before the judging begins. I kid you not. <laughs> I kid you not, guys. This is, this is no bullshit. Adam Rifkin, who did Detroit Rock City and Underdog, has optioned the rights for a movie about peeps, Easter candy, you know, that shit. (laughs) Oh, we are so doomed. We are so doomed. And if you don't believe it, definitely check out deadline.com and you guys can check it out there. But yes, it is happening. But, you know, don't get too comfortable. Besides the peeps movie, we are going to get a live action Barbie movie. There you have it. But you know what's funny? A live action Barbie movie. I'm surprised it took this long for it to happen. But yes, it is going to happen. And Sony is looking for the films to become to become its next big global franchise. So they want to take the film into production by the end of this year. Of course, we all know Barbie. Everybody's had one. And, uh, you know, some of us have ripped the heads off quite a few Barbies if we've had sisters. So, you know, the deal. But um, yeah, Barbie is going to go to the big screen. So you, you know what the thing is? It doesn't, I can't even say that I'm bothered by it. Strider says a Barbie movie. Didn't we already have Legally Blonde? Yes. That's a, that's a, a very, very subtle nod right there. Good sir. But it's true. It's like Barbie on the big screen, especially if it's live action. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a live action Johnny Quest. Live action Johnny Quest and Haji needs to be played by the Indian guy from the Big Bang Theory. And Dr. Quest needs to be played by Liam Neeson and Race Bannon. Race Bannon needs to be played by like like Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper needs to be Race Bannon 
in 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 a in a Johnny Quest movie with the Indian guy from, from Big Bang Theory. At least at least if you say, "Hey, we're going to do something like that." It it's a little bit there's some substance because the Johnny Quest series had some really really decent stories. <laughs> Holy shit. Cranberry Kid with the with the with the napalm bombshell. Aziz Ansari as Haji. Oh my god. Dr. Quest, Dr. Quest spraying our guns, spraying our guns, spraying our guns with the bank robbers so they don't punch us in the face. <laughs> Seriously, like, like, it's just like, at least there, there's some, there's some substance. You know what I'm saying? Like you, like the, the Johnny Quest series had some really, really great stories. Barbie, not so much. All right. So a quick time check. It's two minutes till 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Blog Talk Radio feed will go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm sure the English lady will come on shortly to remind us. Of course, you can listen to the live. You can continue listening to the live show at mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv, and of course, Mixler, mixler.com forward slash my take radio. Archives will be available. 90 seconds. There she goes. Uh, show archives, of course, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Mixler, and of course on MyTakeRadio.com. And videos can be found on My Take Radio, on My Take Radio's YouTube channel, YouTube.com forward slash MyTakeRadioTV. All right. So let's get through the rest of the entertainment segment before the live feed goes off air for Blog Talk Radio. So, yeah, as I was saying, you know, doing a Barbie film. 60 seconds. There you go. 60 seconds. Um, doing a Barbie film, I understand you want to go live action, but it's just, it's, it's a character that's so iconic that when you cast it, that person is going to be stuck playing Barbie for at least three or four movies. So not, not, not something that's going to give somebody a lot of leverage or a lot of leeway. And maybe you want to go a little younger cause you want to keep the person as part of the franchise, but, uh, definitely a slippery, slippery slope. Another series which I'm shocked is getting the big screen treatment is Goosebumps. If you guys were 80s babies like me, I'm sure you re- you know R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series. Um, it looks like it is going ahead with Jack Black playing the role of R.L. Stein. So there you have it. it looks- Ten seconds. Ten seconds. We got it. Uh, the Blog Talk Radio feed will go off air in ten seconds. As I was saying... Jack Black will be playing R.L. Stein, and um, the movie is scheduled to hit theaters March 23rd, 2016. Uh, very, very interesting that they want to go that route. Uh, Goosebumps is a, is a book series that, hell, I remember growing up, but I haven't seen a new Goosebumps book in years. If if they're still being made, I'm, I'm curious, you know, definitely let me know, uh, because I used to read a lot of those growing up, and I remember they used to have the Nickelodeon show as well on... Um, it was like a like a like a programming block that Nick used to do with R.L. Stein's. I believe it was R.L. Stein's. Are you afraid of the dark? No, no, no. Are you afraid of the dark was separate. But I know I know R.L. Stein's had a Goosebumps style series on Nickelodeon. But it looks like um you know Nickelodeon wasn't enough and Goosebumps is heading to the big screen. Now, a couple of months back, we were talking about a brand new version of the Jungle Book with John Favreau. Now. We've talked about Barbie. We've talked about all these different films being remade and brought to the big screen. Now it looks like they're going to do a brand new live action version of the Jungle Book. Now, originally when I talked about it, I said that Idris Elba was going to be voicing Shere Khan. Well, it looks like Jon Favreau is going to continue getting great uh, Hollywood talent for this film because it looks like Scarlett Johansson and Lupita Nyong'o are going to be lending their voices to characters as well. Uh, Scarlett Johansson will be the voice of Ka the Python 
and uh, Lupita Nyong'o will be the voice of Mowgli's adopted wolf mother, uh, Raksha. So there you have it. We're getting a, a pretty decent Hollywood cast behind this, but a live action Jungle Book. You know what the problem is? Do you got a live action Jungle Book? There's going to be a brand new Tarzan. It just it just feels like there's too much going on. But the funny thing is with with uh, something like this, Disney's been doing a pretty solid job with live action films based on some of their more iconic characters. Obviously, we got Maleficent coming. So I'm not shocked that they're doing this with the Jungle Book and we'll see how it pans out. I'm I'm not 100 percent dismissing it, but I I want to see a trailer or something just to see how it comes together. Either way, this brand new interpretation of the Jungle Book will be hitting theaters October 9th, 2015. Wow. So a franchise I haven't talked about in quite some time is The Hobbit. Obviously, we had uh, the first film. We had The Desolation of Smog. Now it looks like the the third film was going to be called The Hobbit there and back again. But as it turns out, that is no longer the case. Peter Jackson actually announced on his blog that the third Hobbit film will be called The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. So there you have it. That's going to be the the final installment of the Hobbit trilogy will now be called The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. So there you have it. If you've been uh, following it or you're just a fan of the Lord of the Rings series, know that the film will now be called that as opposed to The Hobbit there and back again. So there you have it. One, you know, it's it's funny because we talk about so many different adaptations, like I said, remakes, reboots, but we don't talk about gaming adaptations as much because a lot of times it's a lot of fluff, doesn't really come together, and most times they suck. But it turns out, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this because this is a brand new IP and it hasn't even hit stores yet. And Slick has been talking about this game quite some, you know, for quite some time and it was delayed as well and that game is Watch Dogs. Now, we all know Watch Dogs has been talked about quite a bit in various circles. It's a game that's pretty much expected to be a huge success. And um, without the game even hitting stores yet, it looks like we will be getting a film adaptation of Watch Dogs. As of right now, Greg Berlanti uh, is involved and uh, Michael DeLuca will be producing. This is the third collaboration between New Regency and Ubisoft, of course, uh, they've already collaborated with Tom Hardy for Splinter Cell, which is going to be directed by Doug Lyman, and also with Michael Fassbender, who will be involved in Assassin's Creed. So there you have it. Assassin's Creed, Splinter Cell, and now Watch Dogs are all head- heading to the big screen. Now, with regards to Watch Dogs, uh, the writers for Zombieland, which are Paul w- uh, Wernick and Rhett Reese, are scheduled to write the adaptation of the game to bring it to the big screen. Slick ass in the chat, is it rated R? Dude, I think I think that would be the right thing to do, but who knows at this point. But the thing that gets me is that you're putting your hand your eggs in one basket and you're hoping for uh this game to be a success so you could bring this film to the big screen. Like I can understand Splinter Cell because I think that the story is is very engaging and would make a decent movie. Same thing with Assassin's Creed, but you're dealing with an IP that hasn't even been tested yet. So definitely very interesting. Uh, right now, of course, it's it's all up in the air. The only thing I know thus far are the writers that are going to be involved. And of course, as I hear more, I will share it with you guys. Now, the news that broke earlier tonight before we went live was about Gem and the Holograms. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said that they were planning on bringing Gem to the big screen. Well, it looks like things have been moving a lot quicker than expected as a teaser trailer and casting, I mean, a teaser poster and casting was announced earlier today. The teaser poster, I'll share it later on, and um, you guys can check it out. But with regards to casting, uh, the following individuals have been cast. Audrey Peoples will be playing Gem. Stephanie Scott will play the character Kimber. Uh, Haley Kiyoko will be playing Aja. And Aurora Perino will be playing Shayna. This film, of course, will be directed by John M. Chu, who directed the brand new G.I. Joe Retaliation. So there you have it. I am actually putting the uh, the casting in the fan page if you guys want to IMDb the actresses. But these are the women that will be playing Gem and the holograms. I'm curious as to who they are going to cast for the misfits. And you know, it's funny. I'm not the only person that's sharing uh, that same thought process because I've seen it posted in practically every area where this teaser poster and casting has been shared. So once I get that news, of course, I will share it with you guys. I don't even know how I feel about this because like I said, when you were growing up in the eighties, you had He-Man, you had Shira, you had the bionic six, you had Jem, um, the Centurions, Mask. So, you know, Pirates of Dark Water. You, there, there, were, there were so many different cartoons that, that we watched growing up that to see some of them coming onto the big screen, it's, it's, you know, it's very cool. It's very nostalgic. But then, you know, you say to yourself, well, why, don't, why hasn't Voltron got a movie yet? And it's funny because a couple of people ask me like, hey, you know, we got Transformers, but we didn't, we're not going to get Voltron anytime soon. And it's weird because I have a nagging suspicion that uh, once they've squeezed all the blood out of Transformers, then maybe we'll start seeing something with Voltron. But um, while, while Transformers is still hot and making a lot of money, I don't think we're going to see Voltron on the big screen anytime soon. Just, you know, just a thought. Again, I could be wrong, but that's... That's kind of how I feel about the matter. Now, speaking of things that are transitioning to the small screen, here's something that is is going in the exact opposite. Now, if you guys remember, <clears throat> I was talking about uh, Friday the 13th uh, getting a brand new reboot and being utilized as a found footage uh, set piece. Well, it turns out that besides that, they're doing a very unique Friday the 13th TV series. And if you watched uh, Friday the 13th, the TV series in the 80s, you might remember that that was the show about two individuals that were searching for cursed objects. I used to watch that show late at night on Channel 9 for as, as far back as I can remember. And I pray that they release it on Blu-ray or DVD or something because I'd buy it immediately. Um, Friday the 13th, the series was a guilty pleasure right along with... Uh, uh, Freddy Krueger's Nightmares, which they used to give on Channel 9 as well. But um, this particular one is actually going to go back to the Jason Voorhees stories. And what they're going to do is they're going to bring it to the small screen. It's going to go uh, TV show style. And the plan is that they're going to the, the show is going to reimagine Jason in multiple time periods. So, you know, they're going to use Jason kind of the same way they've done with the Headless Horseman and Sleepy Hollow. But um you know, it, it's it's they're they're going that route where Jason Voorhees is going to just exist throughout time, which is which is very, very weird. Um, You know, Sean S. Cunningham, who directed the first film, is serving as executive producer. And it's just a, a very interesting and and weird and funky thing that they want to do, because the Jason character, it's like it's pretty much, you know, it's a running gag, but it's arrive, kill teenagers and leave either 
chained into the lake or decapitated or whatever the case is. But Jason's very, very one dimensional, very linear, very straightforward. You know, it's it's that's pretty much it. So to create an entire TV series about that is very, very I don't know. I find it very odd, not to mention the fact that we don't even know if this is tying into the um, the rebooted franchise that they want to do. But, uh, you know, a one hour Friday the 13th TV series is just I don't know. It has to be done right. And not only that, but I just don't understand how you can utilize Jason as the underlying factor for a one hour show every week. Like, I can understand if he's going around committing murders. Maybe you want to focus on his mother. Maybe you want to go into that that era, you know, that that side of the mythology. But just a, a dedicated Jason Voorhees TV show is just a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens, of course. Once I hear more, as always, I will share it with you guys. So it would not be an episode of My Take Radio without talking about superhero casting news. So right before we went on air, it was announced that a brand new actor has joined Batman versus Superman. Now, of course, we've already seen Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman have been cast as well as Lex Luthor. Well, this brand new character is a character we all know very, very well. And that is the character of Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg. Uh, Ray Fisher is scheduled to join the film as the character Cyborg. As of right now, he will not be playing a major part in this film, but he his role will be expanded and will get larger in later films. So let's 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 break this down. You got Superman, you got Batman, you got Wonder Woman. Now you have Cyborg. Clearly, clearly the 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 writing is on the wall that Justice League is going to happen uh, sooner rather than later. But with that said, right now we have a, a pretty decent cast and we have some pretty uh, solid characters making their film debuts. But I just feel that much like I'm like I'm concerned with Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'm concerned that with Batman and Superman, this this constant uh, use of so many characters is going to be a detriment instead of a benefit. Now, obviously, if you watch the Arrow TV series, you know that they use a lot of uh, second tier and third tier characters from the DC universe, and they've done it very, very successfully. But I am concerned that you're going to go this route and you're going to throw in Wonder Woman and Cyborg and all this stuff, and you're going to try and cram that in there. And at the end of the day, Superman is going to get lost in the shuffle. Of course, that may not be the case, but it's something that definitely is in the back of my mind. Either way, uh, Batman versus Superman, as it's tentatively titled, will be hitting theaters May 6, 2016, according thus far to what's been said, opposite Captain America 3. I have a feeling that that's going to change, but as of right now, Batman and Superman will square off against the first Avenger in 2016. Now, to close things out, we talked about this a couple of weeks back that there will be a brand new Peter Pan film with a very, very uh, high grade cast that's being involved. It looks like a brand new person is joining that cast for the film. And that is Amanda Seyfried, who will be playing uh, uh, Mary in the brand new Peter Pan live action film. Uh, she will be joining Hugh Jackman, who will be playing Blackbeard. Garrett Hedlund will be playing Hook. Rooney Mara will be playing Tiger Lily and Levy Miller will be playing Peter. Uh, Lenny Zagmeyer will be playing Wendy Darling and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the thing. We got live action Peter Pan, live action Jungle Book. Yeah. 
Anyway, this particular Peter Pan film is a Warner Brothers Peter Pan film and is not a Disney Peter Pan film. Either way, uh, right now that film is scheduled to hit theaters July 17th, 2015. Hugh Jackman, who you know is, is solid in everything he does, playing Blackbeard opposite Garrett Hedlund, who is a completely one-dimensional actor outside of Tron. Uh, usually everything else I've seen him in, he is bullshit, but... Here we, here we have it, ladies and gents. He will be Captain Hook in a brand new live-action Peter Pan alongside Hugh Jackman's Blackbeard the Pirate. So, there you have it. Anyway, with that said, that is going to wrap up the entertainment news for this week and also wrap up this week's show. So, uh, episode 225 is in the bag. So, let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 225 for Thursday, April 24th. 2014 if you have any questions concerns or would like to be a guest on a future episode of my take radio drop me a line mtr host at mytakeradio.com if you're interested in advertising with us either on air via audio or on the site you can email me mtr host at mytakeradio.com as well last but not least of course you can always find us on social media on twitter at mytakeradio become a fan on facebook Add us to your circle on Google+. Follow our boards on Pinterest as well. But if you want the best MTR experience, make sure to pick up the official MyTake Radio app available for Android, iOS, and Windows devices. For Android, in the Amazon Marketplace, for Apple devices, of course, via iTunes, and for Windows devices, you can go to the Windows Store. It is $1.99. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpapers, and exclusive content before it reaches the general public. Again, $1.99, and it's it's a solid investment. Like I said, we try to get content on there, especially for those that have the app. On behalf of myself, Slick, uh, Quark, Blade, Andrea, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next week. Thank you guys, as always, for your continued support. And here we go on the march to MTR 250. Thanks again for watching, guys. See you next week. Peace. I should have taken Slick's advice for outro music, but I think, uh, you know what? I think I have what we're going to go out with this week. So let's get to it, shall we? We are going to go out with from OC Remix. We're going to go with Street Fighter 2's The Mass Man. The artist was nutritious, and you can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org.